Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast, sixth annual MacroFab Star Wars Christmas special. And we are your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. And we're your guests, Roz and Hiron and Chris. And this is episode 307. So we've done six of these. So, Stephen, can you give like a short rundown of why this special podcast exists? Why it's so special? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, when when we first started the podcast, we we did, you know, we were focusing on engineering and engineering topics, and then, uh, gosh, what, that was 2015, 2016, and um, Star Wars, uh, all the new Star Wars were coming out, and uh, Parker and I had the idea: why don't we once a year get together and talk about the technology of Star Wars? And we've we've kind of wanted to always evolve it into the technology of just science fiction but there's just so much to talk about in star wars so we're still keeping it right now as the annual star wars uh episode so each year we kind of give a quick little rundown of just technology in star wars but also our thoughts about just general star wars stuff and it's sort of a one episode every year where we just get to geek out on sci-fi and star wars and uh Roz and Hiron have been on previous Star Wars podcasts, and this is actually Chris's, not Chris's first podcast with us, but his first on the Star Wars podcast. So thank you all so much for showing up and, um, cause, you know, it's going to be like two hours. <laughs> these usually, <laughs> these usually last a while. I finished my project last night. Procrastination. Wait, who else finished their project last night? I, I did. did. <laughs> I didn't know we had a project. <laughs> we usually just come up with a topic. Uh, uh, you know, we, we have weeks and weeks to think about it, and then we finish it the night before. So the we just ra pick random topics from any of the movies. Or It's usually like 90% idea fairy. Oh, for sure. Um, so what we normally do with these is we kind of first start about, like, what's been new in Star Wars over the past year. Um, so let's start there. Um, so since... Last year's episode, which was episode 255, um, we've had Star Wars Visions came out with the whole series of that. Uh, there was the ending of Mandalorian Season 2, because like when we did that episode last year, the final episode had not come out yet. Wow. Um, it must have been like the next week. It, it was like three days later or something yeah. like that. Um, there was the Lego Star Wars. I think we're screwed by that from now on. Even the Book of Boba Fett doesn't come out to the 29th now. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's fine, though, because we still have a whole year. We can talk about Book of Boba Fett next year. <laughs> when it's not, like, in popular culture anymore. Plus, you'll have the whole season where with if you waited Book of Boba Fett, you only have, like, the first episode to talk about. Yeah, right. that's, that's true. But it would be the... That would... It would be... For our viewer count, it would be advantageous for us to do that, though. <laughs> um, let's see. There was Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. That came out last year? That, okay, so that one was before the last um, Star Wars episode that we did. Yeah, I don't think we talked about it, though. We didn't talk about it. I, I remember watching it and being like, I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about if this is what we're talking about here. Well, it has, like, teleportation in it. It's got a lot of stuff in it. Time travel. Yeah, oh, that's right. It does have time travel in it. Um, the Bad Batch. Time travel and making fun of themselves. I mean, yeah, that's what old Lego Star Wars or, or Lego specials are. You know, they're making fun of the universe. 
Um, and then I think Chris put down Chris put in some like uh, audio books, well, just books that came out. I, I left those off because I didn't know. Like I think it's only Chris and I um, are doing uh, audio, like actually do the audio books and read books for Star Wars. But yeah, those like the Thrawn Ascendancy books came out, and then there's a whole new like the High Republic series. So what have y'all enjoyed over the last year? Uh, there's been a giant like Star Wars hole in my life. So the wife and kids and I started rewatching Mandalorian from the beginning, you know, so, um, we restarted season one. There's actually, you pick up on a lot of stuff that you missed the first time. Um, so we're, we're about, I don't know, an episode left in season one. Um, so that's kind of like our Friday night thing, pizza and pizza and Mandalorian. So waiting for Boba Fett to come out. That, that looks good. Um, just wish, wish it would be out already. <laughs> it, it looks interesting. <laughs> I think you're going to, they're going to fill in a ton of gaps. Like how did he survive the Sarlacc? You know, how did, um, you know, uh, you know, basically that, how is it, how's he alive? <laughs> you know, um, how did his armor end up with Cobb Vanth and whatever the hell the name of that town was? Uh, Are you sure that's not going to be a story for another time? Oh, Jesus. Don't get me started. <laughs> Don't open that door. I'll walk through it. No, I mean, why couldn't we just have had um, Favreau direct the the, the, the movies? Yeah. Well, Would have been, been good. And that's partly why I'm looking forward. I mean, I'm looking forward to book of Boba Fett too. And not necessarily because I was ever a huge fan of the character. I mean, to me, I never got the hype about Boba Fett. I thought he kind of went out like a sucker, you know, and in the, in the movie, but Get, um, getting knocked in the butt by a blind Han Solo. <laughs> but, but the thing I loved about Mandalorian and then his character and everything, it, it was the, the, the effort they put into the world building, it's mm -hmm. just so amazing. Like, just the little details in it. You feel like you're there, and you feel like the world's alive in a way that the last few movies just didn't feel like. Granted, their focus is different because it's just a movie. It's not like a you know weekly series. But the that's like my favorite part. I, every Mandalorian episode, I, I'm, besides being totally hooked into the story, I just love like wanting to see more of this world and I, and 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 they're careful even though they explain things they're careful to leave enough unexplained that yep. you're like your brain can fill in your own ideas about things like when um they went to that prison planet to pick them up and there's you see like all the wrecked tie fighters and you see that at being used as a crane and you're like wow how did that happen like how did we go from that being like war equipment to being like New Republic is, or New New Republic, or whatever is using it as... They're, they're good at reusing all their junk yeah. all the time. <laughs> but it's just kind of cool. They don't, like, they don't, like, look at, you know, like, they don't have a character saying, oh, look, there's an ad ad that they turn into a crank. You know, it's just there in the background, you know. Yeah, I think you, I think you hit on something, like, that is super important. I was actually thinking the same thing, too, is they don't feel the need to... Uh, explain everything. Like, yeah, like explain down 
to you like you've never seen Star Wars before or you know in any good story leaves a little bit for the imagination to try and and chew on right so I I love how Mandalorian is able to capture that while still keeping the story I mean that was what gave you let's go back to the episode four right when they're talking about the Clone Wars and and Obi-Wan's talking with Luke about his father was a jet pilot and or a uh, a fighter pilot and the best in the galaxy you know there your brain starts going and in and, and that like universe of star wars starts getting built out and it's exciting and you know i think the movies kind of missed a little bit of that that is really at the core of what star wars is yeah star, star wars is very good at well i'll say actually up until oh Basically, the sequels, I should say, I guess, episode seven. <laughs> it was very good at making a universe and then going back and then, like, it's very good at throwing darts and then putting the bullseye at the dart. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that changed in seven, eight, and nine. Um, and that's what Mandalorian was really good at is putting those bullseyes out where the darts had landed in the universe. The Mandalorian also excels at pacing. It excels at giving you the information that you need, not anymore at any one point in time. And then, like, you get what's coming next, but you're like, just show it to me. I gotta, I gotta be a part of this. I got to follow this. Like, the pacing just walks forward at a great, you know, step. And uh, one thing I'm a little bit concerned about with the Mandalorian is they they have a formula and they just keep doing it every episode is like to be a little bit dorky here but like a star wars rpg where it's like we're given the criteria and here's the thing we've got to do and here's the mission then we go and do it and then it's done and then mm-hmm. the mandalorian goes off to the next thing and you know what it works it works really really well and it's worked for two seasons straight uh, I I hope it doesn't get stale though. Like they're not so hamstruck to the arc, but it's loosely following the arc, which is what's nice about yeah. it. Yeah, and it does it gives them a convenient plot point of like, okay, Mando can't keep the baby with him all the time, so the baby always gets up into trouble, which leads to more shenanigans and that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, Eating the offspring of other aliens. What the one concern that I do have about Book of Boba Fett is that that kind of formula that they have for Mandalorian, if they just literally transpose it and say, hey, we got this formula that works, here's how we need to lay out the episodes, and let's just make it. And if they do that too often, I mean, it works until it doesn't work. And then suddenly you got, you know, nothing works, and then you can't salvage it. So I'm hoping they at least do something a little different or try something a little different, but... But they also seem to be willing to use different writers and let different people kind of produce the episodes. And even though, so it even has, even though it has an overarching guiding individual within that context, there's people, you know, trying different things and doing different things. So, but I, I don't really know what to expect from, except for the trailers. I, I, I'm not sure, like. The content I've seen in the trailers could literally be one episode or it could be the whole season. I'm hoping it's not the whole season, you know, like, but I guess we'll find out. I hope it takes place on more than just Tatooine. 
Because I, I, I'll put it this way: is I'm actually kind of sick of that planet. <laughs> yeah. Like, ev- why does every single movie and piece of Star Wars media have to end up at Tatooine? It was supposed to be like a galactic backwater too. It's an outer rim world, like. Why would you ever go there? It's nothing but sand. But everyone spends time Right, but there. everyone goes there for some damn reason. <laughs> like, come on, Star Wars. Or they're born there. Or, yeah, you know, that. Uh, it, you know, it, it'll be interesting, though, to see. You know, he's he's got his sidekick. Well, Finnick Shan, she was in the, in the Mandalorian, right? She was that, like, elite assassin. Yeah. Uh... So it'll be interesting to see like that dynamic. Um, I'm hoping they kind of explore that too, because we know that, or we can assume from the Mandalorian that Boba Fett basically patched her back together and saved her life. But is that why she's hanging out with him? Like, does she have a she got like a, a life blood, debt, a blood right. debt to him or something? Yeah, you know? yeah, life debt, like uh, Chewbacca did. Uh, yeah, Solo. We um, tried to eat solo before that, though. So that's true. <laughs> um, I want so I guess we're moving into like what we want to see out of the next year is uh, I want to see because there's, there's, there's Book of the Bob Fett and there's uh, a couple other shows coming out too. I want to see a planet that's got two biomes on it. Yeah, <laughs> 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 that that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we move on, has anyone seen Bad Batch? Or? I was going to ask the same thing. I, n- I, I watched haven't. half of it. I I watched two episodes and then... It's... Mm, yeah, I did two really, episodes too. It's like the Clone Wars. It actually has a lot of cool lore in it, but it's really written and built for kids. Okay. So, if you... Roz, I would, I would say you should watch it with your kids. Yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, Parker, I was going to see if my son would get into it. You know, I was too old by the time Clone Wars really came around. It, again, I was out of that target demographic, so it didn't really hook me. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know if I saw an episode. But, you know, Dave Filoni, the guy who's involved with writing and producing and directing on Mandalorian and now the book of Boba Fett, was uh, you know, a critical part of of that the Clone Wars and the Bad Batch series. So they're starting to work in pieces of canon, I, I, if you will, that that are very like specific to those two series. Well, you know, Clone Wars into those shows. So I, I probably should catch it to just fill in some holes. I would I would definitely watch it with your kids. Um, I only made it through half of the Bad Batch. It was good. I, I didn't stop it because it was bad. I just stopped because instead of, it was just, it's just not geared towards adults. Mm. And so I what I did instead was I just read the episode synopsis at the end when they all came out. <laughs> and so I got the lore dump. Mm. <laughs> that's honestly all I cared about with, uh, that because I'm like, well, I don't really care too much about these characters because they're they're very stereotypical. Like they're their characters are written in and slots, right? It it, right. it, it sort of it's, reminded me of like a really simplistic version of the characters from Predator, but put them in Star Wars, where like they all have like a shtick, and they're all like a bunch of like '80s badass characters <laughs> in a in a Star Wars show, and like Blame this is the guy with bombs, and this is the guy who's like 
with a good the sniper tech stuff dude. and things. Yeah, yeah like, and there's and a tech dude. Got time to bleed. And then yeah, there's the dude exactly. that can that puts the plan together. And yeah, yeah, it's very that way. It's just it's the and this goes back to what we we're talking about with Mandalorian. We this that formula. They have a really good formula for how the episodes work. It's also the same way how the Clone Wars. I only got like Clone Wars has got like eight seasons now. I think I made it through like season two. Well, it's before interesting. I bailed on it. It's interesting to like see the younger any any really anybody younger than me, <laughs> um, and like there's characters that are important to them that I like don't even know right? don't even really know like um, Ahsoka Tano. Like she was a huge part of the Clone Wars. But like, I couldn't tell you the first thing about her um, other than, you know, what I know through just picking up from general Star Wars exposure. Uh, so that was know. actually the thing with um, where they name dropped uh, in, in Mandalorian season two. Well, she's getting her own spinoff show from what I've heard. Yeah. yeah, we actually did talk about this. I think on last year's episode because this episode had I think just aired when we talked about it, where she meets Mando on that swamp swamp planet, planet or something. Yeah, but it's only swamp because it's, it's Star Wars and only Star- one biome exists on each planet. No, um, one monoculture. Yeah, <laughs> I'll speak the same swamp language. Planet, desert planet, ocean yeah. planet, um, and. Uh, the oh, and she name drops uh, Thrawn. Yeah, that'll be interesting. That's going to be interesting. That that that's my whole reason for looking forward to Ahsoka because I'm not attached to her character, but I am deeply attached to Thrawn. So, like, I loved his character from the original Timothy Zahn series that then got zapped out of you know thanos whatever out of existence and uh <laughs> the disney, and disney snap <laughs> rebooted and and that's you know going just briefly i would mention anyone who like has audible or is interested in audible just check out the star wars books the new ones because i i tell people they're more like radio plays than books they have sound effects they have music oh yeah different voice actors i mean and I absolutely love the Thrawn books, but I mean, they're all like well done. So if you know, if you want a great way to just sit back and be entertained for a while, you know, check out the Audible books. No, it's weird. I I gave the High Republic a chance, and it's not bad. Um, that's their new book series that they kicked off almost a year ago. Um, it's about two hundred two twenty BBY, so it's like just prior to Phantom Menace time frame. Um, Just going that chunk further back. And the only complaint I have about it is like, they're kind of exploring the High Republic era. There's not as much like, it doesn't feel like junk everywhere. Like they're kind of at the peak Peak, of Peak of civilization of the Republic. Yeah. You can tell they're using it as an opportunity to plant seeds and characters for all their different book comic book maybe one-off movie spinoffs but there's like little to no character development you're introduced to like 20 people hitting you left and right left and right and you're like what the hell is going on okay maybe if i read this book or this teenage novel over so i i respect what they're doing trying to cultivate that era it still has the best production 
quality like any of the other Audible books that they do. But the story's just kind of like, I get that you're trying to introduce me to this and you're really going to take off with other books and other series and whatnot. And yeah, because there's a new game coming out for that. Eclipse. Yeah, so that, that we don't have a release date for that it, it, yet either. But I think what's going on there, Hyron, is they can't go past episode... Well, yes, money. Yes. Yeah, the but mouse they can't, cult. But they can't go... Because... Disney paid like four billion dollars for this franchise. Okay, gotta get their investment. They got to get their investment, and it's this huge universe. And they can't. They know if they go past episode nine in this timeline, they're just gonna make people. They're gonna make people angry still, and they can't retcon seven, eight, and nine because that would make another group of Star Wars people angry as well. And so what do they do? Well, we're just going to go in the go past backwards. and go write our own new stuff where it won't that, even matter what we do there. That's how I kind of feel about the Thrawn books because I've noticed that like they had the one where it took place in like where it, he was actually in the, well, at one point Empire and then the other point when it was still Republic. But the but this last three, they all take place outside of the whatever you know the in in the um in their area of space or whatever the chaos uh and i'm like i wonder how many and, and in back of my mind even though i'm thoroughly enjoying them i keep thinking they're probably keep doing this because they know the second he leaves he runs right into the rest of the story and then you go oh okay part of that story's already been told and then the part of the story is yet to be told with Ahsoka. So it's like they're kind of trapped with those books too, that they, you know, they have this like narrow band of dates where they can tell stories and then, and then they run into other stuff that they have to decide if they're going to establish it as lore or just re re erase it like they did with the expanded universe. Yeah. I, I always wonder why they ended up not using Thrawn for seven, eight, nine. I th I always go to what I think is the audiences would not have liked a alien bad dude. Hmm. A little too Star Trek. Could be a little too Star Trek, but I don't think audiences would have liked that. See, to me, I think they just didn't even have the imagination. Like, the people who were writing the, the that, sequels... That is true, because remember, even, we know what Kathleen They didn't Kennedy even know. Did like, in, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm probably wrong, but I just feel like they had a story in their head that they wanted to tell, and then they turned it into Star Wars. Like they said, we're, this is the story. We'll just paper over it with these Star Wars themes, and we'll call it Star Wars. And, and I say that because if you look at New Trek, J.J. did the exact same thing. He just took Trek, or he took his story he wanted to tell, and then grabbed a bunch of Star Trek stuff, painted it over the story, call it Trek, even though it's not Trek, at least not to fans of Trek, and and um, so I don't know. That probably tells something about my opinion of <laughs> letting him. That's that's kind of my like love and criticism of Visions. Like when Visions came out, I Parker and I were almost watching it at the same time, like texting each other back and forth. And in general, I'm a big anime fan. I love most of those studios. I think what they did is great. 
The only episode that I truly loved though was Akakiri, the very last one, because at the very least, the Sith win. Like, I, it upset me so much that Disney basically handed them the Legends license and said, you have free reign, do whatever you want, and every single damn studio is, I want to show my version of the Jedi winning and the bad guys losing, and here's what their lightsabers look like. I'm like, you have a whole Star Wars universe. It it doesn't have to revolve around that. Yeah. <laughs> or or how many times you can see a lightsaber or a blaster bolt being stopped in midair. It, yeah. And I'm just like, it, it was cool, but I'm like, please get more creative. You could explore so many different avenues of this universe or the darkest sides or grungiest sides of it, which is... I think why I love The Mandalorian or look forward to The Book of Boba so much because it, nothing wrong with Jedis, but I, it doesn't have to all be that. And, and that's totally like one of the things I loved about the first couple episodes of Mandalorian is I, I remember saying at the time when the Empire fell that I said it's it's multiple planets. It's not just going to end. Like something like that doesn't just suddenly go away. It's not like magic. You can't wave your wand and it goes away. And I'm like, it, it wouldn't. There's too many people who are too invested in, in maintaining in the system. It. Yeah. And that's what you saw in Mandalorian. It's like, you know, the, um, oh, I forgot his name that he played the, the empire Werner Herzog or. Yeah. 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 The, yeah. Uh, he was great. I mean, it's not his usual role, but that's what made it great. Um, but he even has some lines in there, like something like, does it feel safer? You know, something like that. And it's like, yeah, you know, those are complicated questions that I think shows should ask. You know, I was I was kind of hoping for that, actually, in the uh, Bad Batch as well. Like the, the Bad Batch, like the, the whole group of guys are all, they're like a specialist, like SEAL Team 6 for the empire uh and i was i was hoping to see a little bit more of like maybe even though it is a show geared towards kids maybe just a little bit more like gritty on the missions that they go on uh unfortunately i didn't see that as much but uh in the two episodes i watched but uh, you know it, i feel like they they are starting <laughs> to explore those kinds of things you know before i forget just related to tech something that i absolutely loved about the last episode of mandalorian or of its uh, season finale, the Dark Troopers. Oh, them showing up! Yeah, like they teased them a couple episodes earlier, and you know, a little bit of Dark Forces throwback like, there. Why are you so worked? Yeah, and I was like, you have no idea how much pucker factor they gave teenage me. <laughs> yeah. All right, you ran like hell from Dark Troopers, and it's interesting to see like that's their second or third generation because they used to just be force sensitive or people in. Suits. Like super storm it's like power outfits. armor and it's interesting to yeah it, it's really interesting to see through the different eras they go from we're gonna have armies and specialized troopers of droids to humans and clones back to droids like they're just starting to replace them again i don't know if that was just to have to make people who remember Dark Forces like giddy, where I'm like, oh my god, they're punching through the door. Do you want the lore reason why, though, Hyron? You there? know it? Yeah, so Palpatine yeah. did not like droids, because they were untrust... You could not trust droids. 
because anyone could control a droid. And so that's why Isn't they he got, like half droid now. Palpatine? Yeah. I have no idea what he is. He's three D printed. That's nine. that's what he is. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he is, yeah, he's a three D printed. I was gonna say he's he is a bad three D print, and then there's like thirty copies of him and Snoke sitting in like acetone, melting down to new Palpatine filament. That is <laughs> dark. We filament. probably talked about this last podcast episode, episode podcast for Star Wars, but that whole line of how did Palpatine get back? I don't know. It's like that's seriously like the line in the movie. It's like how how did this make it past like one editor? Well, it's I think it Somehow. goes a little bit towards what you Chris can't was have saying a earlier. character just say I don't know. Somehow Palpatine's back. So that's that is the good part about the Lego Holiday Star Wars special. They poke fun at all of those things. Yeah. I think there's a part where Palpatine's standing there and he like looks down the shaft and he's like, yeah, you fall down there. There's no coming back from that. <laughs> and they just stand there awkwardly in quiet. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, the, the, I think really that does go back to what Chris said there earlier where it's, they had a story. The story what existed before everything. They had to paint Star Wars logos all over that story. So they don't necessarily have to give all the reasons behind it because the story was paramount. The narrative is what they needed. Uh, I think we should move on because we're 30 minutes deep into this podcast and we still haven't talked about the main part of this podcast yet, which, yes, it is Star Wars, but we usually have like a couple topics that each of us come up with. Sometimes it's tech, sometimes it's theory work. Sometimes it's just bringing up a question and then we rant on it for a while. Um, so who wants to go first? So I do actually have something prepped, but I don't want to go first. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck, Roz. It's not, it's not, it's definitely not as good as what Hyron and Chris have, I guarantee you. But So, so, you, I, so I Roz, you can't them. go last then. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you don't want to go last. I'll, go, I'll be sandwiched right in the middle. You got to be know. the filler episode. That works. <laughs> okay. You, you want me to go with my, with my theory and, and see what kind of stupid math I went through to see what happens? Do yes. it. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to do a screen share. And keep in mind, I'm having some weird two-second delay. Um, it is what it is. So how about this, Hyron? So Raise your hand when you want us to respond uh, to something. <laughs> awesome thank you i'll just <laughs> well and and can we will we be able to share this with the folks that listen it, later they uh we'll just yeah. talk about it of course but people in the stream can see it for sure yeah oh, I mean, no we can share we can share this so, later yeah it'll be in the podcast yeah, part notes. of the show notes yeah mm -hmm. so so here's what i was thinking and, and let me just be upfront about this. I hate Legos. Never what? been a Lego fan. I know that's some people's gig. Yeah, absolutely hate You're Legos. You're an engineer, which right? Which is why I threw myself into this. It, yeah, and I hate Legos. I, I, they're, they're too square. What, were you a Connects guy they're, or something? Mm -mm. <laughs> Mega blocks. I... I <laughs> I was I was the guy with the little Radio Shack 201 kit where you pulled the little springs down and stuck in <laughs> resistors and wires. Fair enough. That's what I was. So, I I was watching the Lego 
Lego Holiday Star Wars Special Plus Max Macro Fab with Hulu ESPN. Um, and I started thinking about, you know, building stuff with Legos. And they have the Death Star in there. And so I was like, I, you know, pulling the thread, I was like, eh, it's no fun to figure out how many Legos does it take to build the Death Star, but can you actually build the Death Star out of Legos? So, so let me walk you through what I, what I found. And by the way, to give credit, this wonderful image on the side, I'll call the, the person's name out when I got to the bottom. There is an awesome engineer out there that decided to make engineering schematics of all Lego types. And he even goes down with his micrometer to show, no, they're not 16 by 32 by 10, they're 15.8 by 31.8 millimeters. So he's spot on <laughs> with this, which I highly appreciate that. So, so uh, I'm clicking on the damn wrong screen. So just for a frame of reference, I'm talking about the two by four bricks, right? Yeah, when people think of Lego, so, this is the brick you think in your brain. Right. If you wanted to build the Death Star, you'd probably do it out of two by twos to be more efficient, but two by fours. Okay. So length with height, volume, and I reused like, hey, if you want to build the earth out of Legos, what would you do? Because I would just want to double check my formulas, right? You start with the known good and then start swapping your numbers. Um, Granted, there's a lot of legends, different kind of reference. I think one of them came from more uh, tabletop RPG references where they're like, hey, Death Star 1 radius was 60 kilometers, Death Star 2 is 80, or whether 120 and 160 diameter respectively. But those are the numbers I use to set all this up. Oh, yes, Mr. I Parker. think if you were to listen to episode two of the Star Wars podcast, we actually went over this, of what the sizes of the Death Stars are. So you want me no, to you change those change numbers right now? You could have gotten... We, we actually went in depth on... on Because we came with the same problem with, like, no one knows exactly how big they are. I put the reference in. To be fair, they listed all of them, and they're like, pick the one you want. I picked the one with kind of nice numbers. But I, I think in terms of the result I end up with, it doesn't matter. <laughs> A lot of these, but we'll get there. That's what happens with a lot of these calculations. It ends up not mattering. <laughs> and this is why I do spreadsheets. You want to change it? Sure. Yeah, it's a sixty-two point five. Make Parker happy. <laughs> I think it's actually sixty. Is what we ended up finding out. So okay, pull the thread. We go through here. I get the volumes, and you know, in general, number of bricks divide out by the volume. Coming up with, yeah, 1.8 times 10 to the 20, that's not a tangible number. That doesn't really mean shit to anyone. Let's let's keep running with it. By the way, Christo, Christoph Bartnick, thank this gentleman for making engineering schematics of Legos because that's what people need to do. So basically, I need 1.8 times 10 to the 20 bricks to make the Death Star. The problem with the Lego Star Wars universe versus that is, if you've seen the Lego movie, you know, Lego people are small compared to the real world, and to make the math match, I can either blow up everything or shrink down the Death Star to keep things relative. Um, in general, a Lego person is 1 to 42 scale, so I scaled down the Death Star by 42, and yeah, 
that's tangible. You know, 1.4, so about 2.8 kilometers is the diameter of the Death Star when you have a little Lego person. That, that at least makes it tangible if you have little Lego person uh, almost three kilometers in diameter. So I go through that and I'm like, okay, so the number of bricks to make Death Star 1, about um, 2.5, 10 to the 15. Still really far out there number of bricks. Like, that's crazy. Um, and this is where this kind of manufacturing and scenario math gets weird because Lego company has some proprietary process and they're super efficient at what they do. But annually, on average, they make 45.7 billion Legos. And you gotta imagine they have their system down and I can't imagine where all those Legos go, but they make about 46 billion Legos a year. Maybe they're actually building Death Stars with them. I, right? Well, no, because if this is how many you need and that's how many we can manufacture in Earth time, it takes 55,000 years to make enough Legos just to build the Death Star. Steven. So, so I'm just curious about one, one aspect of this cal uh, calculation here. Are you assuming that this is a yes. solid sphere or is it like a shell of a sphere? It's, it, I'm doing solid, to be fair. I know some of it would be hollowed out. I could not find any math on how much of the interior volume of the Death Star is hollow. Otherwise, I would subtract that. Um, so th this is a one kilometer solid brick of Legos. Yes. Nice. We could shave off that time if we knew how much, you know, P-ways and loading bays and docks and everything. So high on. I'm gonna throw another monkey in your in your calculation here. Oh, that you are. Yeah. So we out. we use the density of what a battleship would be to calculate this out. To as far as the volume yeah, like how it? much steel would it take to build a battleship? Because you can get like the tonnage of a battleship and how big it is. Because it has it has areas inside. The, uh, you know, because they're 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 mostly air inside, right? Well, well, actually, as, a, as in even further, like most of these bricks, they're not the bricks themselves are not solid. They have plenty of of negative oh, space air inside. inside. Too, yeah. So if you consider the negative space within they there, it probably there. works itself. Yeah, out. actually, yeah, you might be right there. So, so it's a probably about right. That that is fair yeah. to point out, and I'm including yeah. that as well. No, so so, so, so what oh, you okay. have is probably closer to. It's not just a big ball of ABS plastic. <laughs> right, they're they're yeah. just hollow shells. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll point out to the plural of Lego is Lego. So you can tell you're not a Lego person. Ooh. <laughs> oh. No. I quit. No. So let's, let's see how I keep prodding this further. Basically 55,000 years, that's too long to make the Death Star. Let me give them the benefit of the doubt in the Star Wars universe that they're better at manufacturing than we are, right? So the fact that we're not as educated on their manufacturing processes and whatnot, what we do have a good idea about is energy and energy generation and energy consumption. So I threw manufacturing out the window and said, let's just talk about the energy required to make the bricks. So even though Lego company has it honed down, I started with a 3D printer. 
average 3D printer, you have about 70 watt hours. Average time, because people have been 3D printing their own Legos, is about 10 minutes. So on average, you're getting about 40,000 joules of energy to make a Lego brick. Granted, Lego company doing 46 billion a year, they can scale up and do it differently, but to melt the ABS and do that, you're still spending a relative amount of joules doing so. So high end, you're still looking at one times 10 to the 20 joules to make a Death Star, to make the Legos to make a Death Star. So I started going through and seeing, well, how much energy can I get out of different sources? And yeah, I was looking at like Tabana gas, Rhodonium, Coaxium, and I found an awesome, even though it was on Rakuten, they were going through and taking different scenarios from the movies. I'm gonna jump to this tab real quick so you can see it. Have you seen this one before? No. They take mm -hmm. different sources and look at, based on information given in the scenarios and scenes, they solve how many joules of energy it, it takes to power them. So you have BB-8, you have lightsabers from Qui-Gon Jinn versus Kylo Ren and blasters. So I, I skimmed those. I was starting to repeat them and I'm like, oh shit, they already did this. I'll we'll use their numbers. So a blaster, six times 10 to the six, some of the lightsabers you're getting between one and two and a half, 10 to the ninth. A star destroyer melting a, an, an asteroid, you're getting about three times 10 to the 12th. X-wing weapons up to the 13. Star destroyers vaporizing to the 14. Whereas a hyperdrive, you're, you're almost getting a, an exajoules, but it's not enough. So, drum roll. You love what I did with the, with the spreadsheet, right? <laughs> The only thing with enough power in the Star Wars universe to 3D print enough Legos to build Death Star 1 is Death Star 1 at 2.25 times 10 to the 32 joules. <laughs> so screw the Lego Star Wars universe. It's a fraud. It doesn't work. It's Yeah, it's like you have to use the weapon from the Death Star to melt all the plastic all at once. Yes. I, I even looked at, okay... If, if the weapons on the Star Destroyers are powerful enough, can they all work together to melt the ABS? That is more than the number of ships the Empire has in their <laughs> fleet. So yeah, you need to build a Death Star in order to build a Death Star. Out of Legos. Yeah. Yeah, I got holes in it. I did it last night. You can fire me. <laughs> well, and then you have to beg the question, how many planets worth of dead dinosaurs do you have to you know, drain in order to have enough petroleum for all that ABS. Yeah, and one of the areas I wanted to look at, I couldn't get enough info, was since a lot of this pertained to um, to the weapon energy usage, not exactly the hard drives, or the, the hyperdrives, because I thought the coaxium would be a, a better power source, but a lot of it was um, the Tabana gas that you get off of Bespin. And I think you would have to mine the entire planet of Bespin and you still wouldn't put a dent in there. It requires the power from kyber crystals in order to make it happen. 10 to the 32 is a really big number. Well, and it makes me think yeah. of, I don't remember which of the Thrawn books it is, but Thrawn figures out that the Death Star exists just 
from studying the patterns of mining operations and where materials are going. And he's like, they're building something and it's huge and it's a waste of resources. And, uh, and it's yeah. like, yeah, like, because yeah, all you'd have to do is look at where all those resources are going. Yeah. Resource multiple. allocation is, yeah. was negative. And Thrawn's like, wait, what? <laughs> Thrawn is like, the someone's Uber not good nerd. at cooking the books. Yeah. But if, 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 for those out there that don't know about Thrawn, Thrawn is like the nerd general in Star Wars, who's also completely ruthless. And completely lacking political acumen. So he keeps getting in trouble when situations require people to be politically motivated instead of tactically motivated. Although he was right. You could say it's. I mean, yeah. it's easy to make someone write when you're writing a book, but <laughs> that is true. <laughs> wouldn't the empire have been better off with a whole bunch of Tie defenders than one giant space station that a couple teenagers blew up by shooting down a vent? I I think games of attrition usually win, and if you had to say we're going to build this one Death Star versus a fleet of 20,000 TIE fighters, 20,000 TIE fighters or bombers would have owned them. <laughs> and even well, though it has a hyperdrive, it's like it can't be everywhere at once. So Steven's it's like, like Mm-mm. yeah. Well, we, uh, the thing is, I'm willing to go next unless anyone wants to, because uh, my whole spiel actually is basically disproving what you just said. Uh, and, and oh, kind of, yeah. <laughs> Do it. So, so, so the title of, of my section is The Battle of Exegol is Dumb. Uh, so if anyone... Well, okay. Star Wars Episode Nine, the, 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 most, the, the latest of the mainline Star Wars movies, ends with a giant battle on the planet of Exegol. And this whole section is just an absolute dumpster fire train wreck uh, of, of enormous proportions. And so... I decided to analyze chunks of this uh, story that they're going through just to start give, throwing some numbers around to show that the numbers themselves get ridiculous, which just adds to how ridiculous everything becomes at the end. And the numbers that I've got calculated here are in the same vein as what Hyron did, where like, like the, the the initial concept is like okay cool we can we can start to get behind this and then they just start blowing up into some real oddities here so let me go ahead and share my screen so uh are you guys all seeing my lovely word document here sorry to all those who are on audio we will have all of these documents available for you to <laughs> walk through if you want to it's it's good to go, but you, you have to acknowledge that we still have Star Tours Flight fourteen oh one there. <laughs> so, I I started writing this up and posting all of the uh, uh, all of the links to the data that I'm I'm getting here. I like how so, you have sources. I have I put a ton of sources on here because I want if you want to follow along with what I got, you're absolutely you can go to all of these links. And uh, there's a lot of fun stuff here. So I'm trying to back everything I have up with information that is from s some form of reputable source, right? So, so first of all, uh, so, the, so the end of episode nine, uh, this battle of, at, of Exegol, uh, we have the 
I what I don't even know what you call them. The, the the rebellion shows up on this planet and they fight this 3D printed Palpatine and his like super ultimate army of star destroyers. And uh, I think it's 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 an indication of uh, storytelling gone wrong in a way. So I I feel like Star Wars at least the seven eight and nine started turning into a little bit of the same problems as Dragon Ball Z. If anyone's ever watched Dragon Ball Z, there, there's there's a certain characteristic about that anime that is both like fun to make fun of, but also like eh, this is kind of annoying. Where every story is good guys find a bad guy that's really powerful, and then they have to find some way to come together and defeat big bad guy then the next thing that happens is there's another big bad guy that's so big and so bad that the last bad guy was like nothing and then the small one after that is like you know 10 to the 32 times the last bad guy uh and unfortunately star wars sort of fell into that um there's a there's a small amount of that if you ask me in episodes four five and six but they do it really tastefully, whereas episode nine just is a train wreck with it. And, and here's my quick little story about that. In episode four, the very first Star Wars that most people probably start with, the, the, what happens in the very first scene after the, the Star Wars crawl? What is the very first thing that happens? Uh, the, the battle Pan over, down. Yeah, yeah, over the, uh, Tatooine. Right. You have a Carillion cruiser, and you have... How many Star Destroyers? One. 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 And that one is super menacing, right? Like, you see this enormous ship, and it's, and it's chasing after this Carillion cruiser, and it's super ridiculously menacing, and they do a fantastic job of being like, this is powerful. And then, you know, fast forward uh, till later, or even in Empire Strikes Back, they start adding more Star Destroyers. But not, like you know, 5,000 more. They, they add, like, one or two more, and you're like, oh, one was a lot. Now we've got two or three. And then in Return of Jedi, when they're having the, the battle outside the, the second Death Star, there's, like, a whole fleet of them, but a fleet of them is still, like, a countable number in a way. Well, you know, keep going into the future, into Episode Nine, and we get to this ridiculous scene where Palpatine raises his hand and Star Destroyer's you know, as far as the eye can see, uh, it fill the entire screen, and it's like, okay, well, cool. So, so you know what happened? Let, let's do an analysis real quick. Of, you know what happened? They ran out of CG budget, and so they just copy pasted. Uh, yeah, and it, it, they did like, oh my god, and it's like an, a perfect array of them. In fact, you can see it in this image that's here. It's like you can see them tiled across the screen. Okay. My, uh, so uh, before we jump into this, because yeah. we're, we're going to talk about you're going to be talking about building this fleet right uh yes to some degree yes so but the whole this is how dumb this movie is okay because <laughs> we already talked about like the whole line with palpatine's back and everyone's like how it's like you don't that's not how you tell a story but this section here we're like because they're they go to exegol to stop the sith fleet which sure we'll call it the sith fleet now yeah but like they do it they have to like destroy a tower because the tower tells the ships how to go up. Yeah, it's the that's, brain bug. That's what it's gonna go. It, it's basically an RF light tower because magnetic storm. We're gonna build two hundred star destroyers, but no, we don't have the budget for like a backup navigation. A backup tower. way of navigation. <laughs> oh, oh, you guys have no idea. It is far worse than that. 
right, let's you do have, it. You, you have no idea. Okay. So, okay. So, so let, let's, let me just, this is directly from Wikipedia, which is basically the, the encyclopedia of Star Wars knowledge uh, on the internet. So Exegol, the planet itself, it's dark, barren. It's a rocky planet with desert flats. Uh, its dry conditions, combined with the rubbing of dust particles in its atmosphere, create enormous static discharges that appear as lightning strikes from the planet's surface. The desolate world was covered with enormous, uh, enormous fissures that reached deep within the crust. And then on top of that, Exegol's nearby space was littered with the remains of megafauna, resulting in the formation of a cloud of red gas and stardust forming around the world, which posed a navigation barrier. Now, as a quick pause there... All that's telling me right there is that this is a wasteland planet. The actual surface of the planet is virtually useless, right? Okay, so at the Battle of Exegol, according to Wikipedia, there's an entire list of all the participants on both sides here. Now, if if you look at the, one of the scenes where all the, quote, good guys show up, there's legitimately 14,000 ships that show up. Uh, that's the number that they count in terms of like the Rebel Alliance or whatever it became of them. But let's look real quick at just the the Sith side, which is basically part of the Sith Eternal. Uh, what I wanted to point out is that the number of Star Destroyers that appear outside of Palpatine's little rocky base, according to Wikipedia, is 1,080 Star Destroyers. But these aren't your regular Star Destroyers. These are actually called Zeiston class Star Destroyers, which are like Star Destroyer Destroyer Plus in a way. Uh, so here's some of the information that they give in terms of these Star Destroyers. So the length is about uh, 2,400 meters, which, uh, you know, 1,600 meters is a mile. So each one of these is about one and a half miles long. They're about the size of a 200 story building tall. Uh, and then, uh, so by using a handful of this information along with some, uh, some of the other stuff I found in some of the links, some people have estimated the weight of one of these Star Destroyers at somewhere in the range of 4.8 million tons uh, for a single Star Destroyer. And uh, I'm sorry, 4.8 million tons for a regular Star Destroyer. And if we assume one of these Zeiston-class Star Destroyers is about 20% larger, uh, the weight I'm using in my calculations is about 5.8, 5.9 million tons. And then the size is 63.36 million cubic meters. So just absolutely enormous here. So there's a great article that's over at Forbes that if you if you get a chance I have the link go read it it's really funny they actually Forbes calculates the cost of a star destroyer and one of the ways they do it <laughs> is they they do a comparison to a US uh, aircraft carrier and uh, information on that so I kind of manipulated the numbers and did it and scaled it up to this Zeiston class star destroyer here so in 2017, the U.S. commissioned the General R. Ford-class aircraft carrier, uh, which was is built by Newport News. Uh, it is about 1.88 million cubic meters, and it cost about $13 billion to build. So if you kind of scale these two things, you know, this 1.8 million, or sorry, 1.18 million cubic meter aircraft carrier up to 63 million cubic meter Zeiston-class Star Destroyer, you you end up with 
the uh, the base cost of a Zeisen class star destroyer in U.S. dollars is about six hundred ninety three billion dollars, an enormous sum, right? No, uh, like nothing to to uh, blink at. But remember, in this scene that we have at the end of the Battle of Exegol. Uh, they have 1,080 of these. So multiply that out, you get $748.44 trillion worth of Star Destroyers there. And that's literally just the Star Destroyers themselves. Not the complement, not anything else, not the TIE Fighters, just the Star Destroyers themselves. And according to Wikipedia, each one of these... Uh, Star Destroyers can carry 72 TIE Fighters. They have a complement of 72. Now, I did. I, I, I went and found some interesting information based on the Star Wars RPG, which says that a TIE Fighter cost, a brand new TIE Fighter cost 60,000 credits. And according to the website Quora, one credit is four US dollars. So a TIE Fighter is actually about $240,000. And that seems really low, but let's just go with that number. So if you have 72 TIE Fighters on 1,080 Star Destroyers, you have 77,000 TIE Fighters at $240,000 a piece. That actually adds to the cost only about $18.66 billion in TIE Fighters, which... Oh, that's at, a rounding you know, error at this point. It's a rounding error in comparison to seven hundred and fifty trillion dollars. You might as well. Right, right. Like, like it's like, yeah, it's just like here's the tip. Here, have seventy-seven thousand Tie Fighters. Regardless, seven hundred. Let's just go ahead and round the number to a nice seven hundred and fifty trillion dollars for this fleet here, and that's just that's just the cost of how like I've approached this. So seven hundred and fifty trillion dollars. Doesn't it strike you as odd that with these new and improved larger Star Destroyers, they can only hold 72 TIE Fighters? It seems really small, right? Right. I would think like a couple hundred, few hundred. I'm thinking like Battlestar Galactica where they could churn out a hundred and two. Anyway, that, that's what my mind went to. I'm like... Well, I mean... Oh, remember, they got the big laser underneath them now. Right, right. They have the big... And I didn't even I didn't even include the laser in this cost. This is just my my general numbers for this. Now now here's the next thing I did, and this is this is a bit of a stretch, but follow me on this. Uh, I went out and I found data on the Earth right now as of June twenty second, twenty twenty one. The total wealth of the world right now is four hundred and thirty one trillion dollars. Like if we just consider you know, just straight up capital, but also assets and land and things like that. The earth itself is, is valued at $321 trillion. And that's for an earth population of 7.75 billion people. So I kind of back calculated uh, what would it, what, how, what kind of population on the earth would it take to just be, to have the earth be worth $750 trillion. And that would mean 13.4 billion people. That's the population that we could generally estimate for that. That's assuming that, you know, like everyone's value or value and worth would go towards military applications. So all of these numbers are just uh, obscenely ridiculous here. So let's just, let's just pretend that the population of Exegol, in order to support building this thousand Star Destroyer fleet, would need to be 13.4 billion Sith, uh, what do they call them, essentials or 
I don't remember what they call them. Sith Eternals. Sith Bucks. <laughs> Sith Bucks. There we go. So 13.4 billion. And we already described that this planet, uh, according to Wikipedia, is basically inhabitable on the surface and completely, just absolutely ridiculous here. So on top of that, Wikipedia calls out that each one of these Star Destroyers has a typical complement of 29,585 service members uh, in order to man one of these Star Destroyers. So multiply that out times the fleet, you need 31,951,800 service members to just man the Star Destroyers in this scene. So just to get to Exegol... And, and you're right, He, as Parker brought up, he doesn't trust droids, so they gotta be people. It's and gotta mousies. be 30, 32 million people just yeah. to fly these things. And so, first of all, this 31... What, 31 million? 31 million people don't know which way is up. <laughs> okay. Right. So they need to have a tower to control which way they're going up at. But what? to get to this planet, you had to have like a Sith, like... Wayfinder. hologram cube thing and had to go through like a worm t- whole tunnel thing through like the the what what's chris to call it the chaos space it's not called that i think it's called like the unknown region yeah the unknown okay because you have to because because exegol's in the unknown region how did they get 31 million people to the unknown region well no no well, no in, he, in, oh, sorry, here's my question are they yeah. all sith by definition, like, would all these people running these ships be Sith? No, they're contract. Contract they, labor. They, they'd have to be, because isn't the old saying, there's always two? It's like, so a master and apprentice? So if the Sith yeah. are always just a master and apprentice, you'd have to have, what? It's a lot of masters and apprentices. Yeah, 15 million masters or something like <laughs> or that. I mean, your quality would be clones? getting pretty low at the end there. You know, you'd be going, yeah, you look like you're a master. Go ahead, you know. There's a there's they a didn't great really bring it up. I wonder if if they they grew up through clones, but obviously they're not really good at cloning Palpatine. Maybe it's a lost art. Well, well, like like Parker was saying earlier, like you have to you have to find a Sith Wayfinder in order to get to Exegol. They make it they drill that into your head that Exegol is this magical place that you can't just find. No one knows how to get there unless you get one of these special magical triangle things that shows you how to get there. So so and a broken dagger. So the whole point and in fact this comes off of a YouTube video that that I linked up. There's a there's a guy who has some really good comedy about this. They're not getting this material for all of these Star Destroyers delivered, you know, because they're not going to UPS and being like, in order to get to Exegol, you have to first find <laughs> this magical pyramid thing and then, like, get your way. Like, UPS is going to be like, I'm dropping your package off in the middle of space, dude. Like, No, no, but anymore. USPS would, would do it. <laughs> yeah, but they'd, they'd take forever to get there. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you couldn't track it. Uh, so, so, yeah, they so... That whole point of, like, they made it very clear in the movies that this is a very secluded place that you can't normally get to tells me that every bit of the materials that goes into the manufacturing of these Star Destroyers has to come from Exegol itself. They're not getting that material or the people delivered to Exegol. So all of this is homegrown in a way. So uh, as the last part of this, just think about the manufacturing on that. I found some information about how long they estimate that these 1,080 Star Destroyers were created. They, they estimate about 30 years uh, it took to build these. Now, 
our uh, aircraft carriers, that Gerald Ford aircraft carrier uh, I mentioned earlier, takes about five to six years to build one of them. So let's let's just assume that same uh, situation where they go in six-year cycles in order to build that. To to create a thousand eighty in six years, you'd have to be building. I'm sorry, a thousand eighty in thirty years, you'd have to be building hundred and eighty star destroyers every five years. And if you take you know blow that number out, it takes five thousand to build each one. You have to have a complement of nine hundred thousand skilled manufacturers to build these, working you know virtually full time on this to to create these all in thirty years. Now. All of this, peel it all away. You have to have all of this ready such that your leader Pal- Palpatine can be ready for the moment that his magical space granddaughter shows up. Like, he can, he can get 13.5 billion people plus the 32 million, uh, uh, you know, people operating the ships plus all these people building it ready just for that one moment that his space wizard granddaughter shows up. Like, this movie's just absolutely ridiculous on its head. Like... The, and and it's funny because I was thinking so much of this when I was first watching the movie, where it's just, uh, there there wasn't a need for this insane levels of everything going on here. And ca- kind of back to what you guys were talking about, if you if you spend seven hundred and fifty trillion dollars making this Uber fleet, uh, or or any any amount of that sort, wouldn't you think you'd have precautions against? you know, having like one master navigation thing, wouldn't you be like, well, we're spending all this money already. We're spending all of our money. Let's make sure that every ship has this. And let's make sure that like a whole fleet of um, cavalry can't take these ships down like they do in the movie, right? Uh, So I thought it was fun to kind of dig through and just come up with these numbers that even if my numbers are off by an order of magnitude or two, it's still ridiculous. It's still absolutely obscene. Yeah, I I think the biggest problem with the fleet is not just the it's not the cost really because if you let's just say you had nine hundred thousand workers, but what if they're they're Palpatine believers? Oh, I or, think or, or, I think that's we all this. We have Q Anon. What if it's P Anon? <laughs> Palpatiners. Yeah, but they're and, not uh, even worshiping like the original Palpatine. They're they're worshiping the three D printed version. The three D printed version, but. Then you don't have to pay them. But, but the thing is, though, is where, like, there's no, like, is there, like, a secret, like, shipyard on Exegol that no one knows about that somehow someone built there? Like, that's the thing is, like, because the, the New Republic Exegol, took over. Huntington Ingalls? <laughs> yeah. But the New Republic <laughs> took over, and in, in canon, they took over all the production places that you would build star destroyers at so it's like where would these even come from so there is a comic book that references that it's star wars darth vader number 11 where vader actually makes his way to exegol uh this is sometime right before uh what is it um uh return of the jedi in that kind of time frame and he sees the beginning of them creating these star destroyers so according to that comic book like they are doing it in some like so they are building them there then they are building them there according to that okay and and maybe i guess that just shows that uh, i don't know why i had this in my head i swear i saw it in the movie but i must have not maybe it was in one of the leaked versions of the scripts but it said the emperor literally just willed them into existence the star destroyers like he just 
wished them into existence. So, so, so that's the, what he did with Anakin. So, <laughs> so, he, so Palpatine or the Sith or the, was it the New Order are like the orcs in Warhammer 40k. They believe hard enough, and thus it exists. Well, they do say that Exegol is like a nexus of dark energy, uh, where like you know the the dark side of the force is amplified on that planet. Um, sort of like uh, what do they call them? Ley lines here on Earth, where people believe that there's like demonic energy amplified at at points on the Earth. Uh, I think it has uh, it has like a parallels to that, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's. Uh, it's described as being that powerful where the, the, the Palpatine can just snap his fingers and that appears. Because if that's the case, why didn't he just do 2,000 or 10,000 or, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong. Yeah. I, 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 it might have been in a leaked version of the script um, ah, that, yeah. that that was in there that he just somehow used the Force to create Not, all the Star so, Destroyers. To, Chris, that would have been too dumb. Yeah, <laughs> this is just a small amount of dumb or a regular amount. You, you know, Stephen, something that your calculations leave out that makes it even more dumb and <laughs> inconceivable. And, yeah. and I'm going back to your to your um, your Ford reference, and and I looked up like some spaceship, uh, like NASA space shuttle type stuff. So those ships, what did it say, existed for like 30 years or they were built over 30 years? Over 30 years, yeah. Every Star Wars movie, even some of the spinoffs, ships are fragile. They literally can't take one or two voyages without shit breaking and having to go into a, a dock and getting stuff fixed. 90% of your system's life cycle budget is in operations and maintenance. So all that money that they spent making them on this horribly corrosive, destructive planet that's full of gases and static and, and lava flows and all that, those ships are getting beat up left Palpatine and right. Palpatine lightning everywhere. Point. Yeah. Your maintenance crews would basically, by, by the time they fixed the last ship, they'd be going back to the first one and, and starting over to repair it. Just sitting there out in space, you're right. Like that environment, that the ion radiation would have to be like terrible with all that lightning. Yeah, if, if he was smart, he would have put them out in orbit because that's at least less of a destructive environment than down on the planet. Because they would just be in an endless like modernization, tech refresh, obsolescence, elimination, recycle, fixing things. Like you wouldn't have all those ships working at once. The majority of them would be constantly under construction and maintenance uh, well on top of that they even mention it i mean it's it's part of the story uh in in the movie they uh they can't use their shields when they're in the atmosphere but they could have if they were outside the planet why can't they use their they because of the ionizing radiation in the atmosphere all that all the lightning that's uh, just present okay, on yeah. exegol but can you can you just see the thirty two million service members all being like, oh my god, she's finally here! Like we've been yeah. waiting for this. <laughs> It'd be like the kids of the people who you know, like the the children or grandchildren of the original <laughs> service members going, she's finally here. Grandpa yeah. was right. <laughs> <laughs> I heard stories about the real Palpatine. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's dumb. <laughs> it's dumb. Um. So who wants to go next? Well, Chris or Roz? 
I guess I can go because mine's not super not not super sexy uh, in any way, shape, or form. Um, I guess I should probably share my screen so you guys can follow along with the back of the napkin math that I did. All right, so I, like like I said, we've been watching um, Mandalorian, right? So there's two there's two particular scenes in my mind that kind of had me scratching my head. All right, I'll start with the easy one. Well, I'll st- let me rephrase that. I'll start with the one that has a little bit of groundwork already laid for us so that we can we can jump into it. So let's go back to episode one, right? Phantom Menace. Trade Federation's got this blockade on Naboo. They send two Jedi to negotiate with the Trade Federation. Things go south pretty quick. Long story short, they lock themselves behind a couple of blast doors. Um, through the magic of, you know, watching the film a couple of times, you can kind of get the dimensions of the blast doors, more or less. So Qui-Gon plunges his lightsaber in there to try and breach the blast doors. Then they close the secondary blast doors. And you'll have to take my word for it, but roughly, you know, Liam Neeson's about 6'3", 6'4", I think, depending on what you look up. Uh, It looks like these blast doors, the diameter of the area he's going through, and then the depth once they close the secondary blast doors are about a meter thick. So this is obviously some kind of magical space metal. But let's assume that space metal is better than just carbon steel uh, because that's what we have. And if we just use plain old carbon steel and try and calculate how much power this sucker is putting out in order to melt that volume and that mass of steel within 11 seconds, which is how long it takes for it to start falling out of that cylinder that he's melting, right? (laughs) So due to the... Do, do we have a data sheet for space uh, space material? Or space no, metal? I don't. Apparently, there is a specific type of metal that those things are made out of, but um, Matt Webb doesn't list its stats, but it does <laughs> list the stats for carbon steel, right? So the density of carbon steel, and I'm going to use freedom units because I'm not an engineer, so all of you that care, I, I don't. So um, the density of, of carbon steel, it gives us a range here from 0.103 to 0.292 pounds per cubic inch. Um, it looks like that volume of steel that he's melting is roughly a meter and a half ish uh, by about a or a yard and a half by about a yard deep. So that gives us a cubic inch, eighty-two thousand and a half roughly cubic inches. How many king we, toes is that long? <laughs> That's lugs. Uh, his lungs, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I I was gonna say you're you're on point, Roz. The jewel calculation that I did that I borrowed from, they did that for that same scenario and in in non freedom units. Yeah, and, and people have done this, and I found it literally on ResearchGate.com. <laughs> Somebody published a, I guess this is some kind of thesis or something, or somebody had way too much time on their hands. They came up with. Uh, 6.9 megawatts of power in a lightsaber. Now, they're using titanium as their their proxy material. I'm using carbon steel. There's obviously different properties there. It is hey, a Trade hey, Federation the, ship, so it would probably not be made out of 
primo materials. That was like, that was my exact. I was just about to say that. Like they're cheapo. They're not going to use titanium. It's, it's pot metal. Yeah. It's a pot metal blast door. <laughs> well, just painted um, gray. And, and a blast door would be designed. It would be a material that's optimal for the blast. pressure, <laughs> and not necessarily heat. I mean, you know, it's 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 right. it's it's. It wants to resist overpressure or bending. It wants to bend a bit, you know, so it's going to be more ductile or whatever. So, yeah. So, the, the only thing I could think of that would be like a, an analog, you know, in our, you know, maybe some kind of composite hybrid like they use on tanks, like a ceramic uh, type of hybrid or some kind of hardened steel, high carbon hardened steel, potentially like AR500 plate armor. <laughs> I'm going with low carbon steel for a conservative estimate here, right? So it's likely higher than this. Well, their um, their blockade's completely legal, so it's probably not a battleship or anything like that either. Good point. True. Civilian ship. True. It, you know, as the Senate not, would know, it's just meant to you know close off the vacuum of space in case you have a breach or something, right? From some drunk driver crashing into your space station well, and also you know, it's, it's, it's meant, it's meant for hole. deflecting blaster bolts that's not meant for lightsaber action but still it's it's you know about a meter thick you know uh, it's it's i mean sorry a yard thick freedom units uh <laughs> so hey they it it put a man on the it put multiple men on the moon so don't know it also it. crashed um, a a uh a thing into Mars because they didn't yeah. do the conversion. Uh, <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> um, so anyways, long story short. I do like how you got BTU in here. <laughs> well, so... Th- that's it should, it should be you went, you. you went full hog on if we look at matt webb i'm, I'm yeah. just going by what they're telling us here yeah. it's, it's point one yeah you got BTU point per, pound. And, per pound per degree fahrenheit so that yep. basically you have to dump that many btus into a pound of low carbon steel to raise it one degree right it's like a it's like a no steel I, calorie i'm, if I'm, you I'm just uh <laughs> steel calorie. i'm envious of how much you're sticking to the like imperial units instead of going with metric at all i want to know how many steel i want to to switch to jewels by now but you're you're like i'm doing btu (laughs) hey well you know go for it dance with the one that brung you so uh, total energy right so melting (laughs) point of carbon steel 2600 degrees we're let's say room temperature 70 degrees on our trade federation blockade ship so we need to go from 70 2600 yada 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 you're looking at about 4.6 million btus of total energy to liquefy this column of steel this cylinder of steel that qui-gon's melting uh so you know you work out the the conversions you work out the time it takes about 11 seconds i'm coming up with 0.12 megawatts of power like instantaneous power that this sucker puts out the the paper that i found is much higher he has about seven megawatts of power so well it's mine's obviously it's titanium mine's much more conservative than his um i probably also did my math wrong but um let's just be conservative and say it's you know half half a megawatt of power that these suckers put out now and that, the reason you I gotta, bring you, this up—that's continuous power. <laughs> correct, correct, right? So that's like continuous. Now, let's 
here's where the Mandalorian part comes in. You've got Ahsoka Tano, which we've talked about. And do you remember when she fought that, I, I think they call her the Magistrate, on that swamp planet? Uh, she's got that spear made out of, of pure Beskar. Well, they like lock horns and start to duel. Ahsoka's got her two lightsabers. And there's a point where she like touches that spear and they they kind of like parry each other and they're locked up for about a good five seconds based on just my one one thousand two one thousand right so here's some pictures right they're looking at each other yeah i'm gonna kill you yeah i'm gonna kill you no i'm gonna kill you so now you've got two cylinders here touching each other there's obviously the conductive heat right and then the diameter and the mass which we don't know what beskar is but my point is, if you remember, the covert on Navarro, they've got that blacksmith down in the sewers. And she just grabs a piece of Beskar and throws it in her little butane torch. And it <laughs> melts like a piece of solder. Right? Yeah, it looks like lead. How much how, like how many nuclear power plants worth of energy is she dumping in to that? you know, pound of Beskar steel that Mando just handed her in order to make a shoulder piece and, or a and breastplate. And they're poor and they pour the Beskar like you would like steel or aluminum. Like, right. like it's a normal temperature. She's and, ladling and it all in. Yeah. Hanging out a couple, a couple of feet away. Like, wouldn't that be hot? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say it probably like vaporize everyone in the room instantly. <laughs> I was also thinking, yeah. you know, given the specific heat of, of Beskar, it's got to okay, if Beskar is melting two feet away from someone wearing a full suit of armor in Beskar, you got to be getting hot. <laughs> and that shit is not going to cool down for hours. You know, you know I actually, I, have, I, I do you have any more, Rosk? I have an idea. Uh, this might so work. So one, one other one, which is not nearly as elaborate or complex. Uh, so later in the season one, they evacuate the covert. All the Mandos either are either dead or gone. The only person's left. They go. He goes back with the drop shipper and um, Apollo Creed and um, <laughs> uh, the the droid, right? And she's the only one left. Well, they talk to her. They take the lava river out to the lava flats, and then a bunch of imps show up, and she does her kung fu fight scene with them. She's got a. Bla a couple of blacksmithing hammers. Now, your average blacksmith hammer, about three pounds, two to three pounds. Um, you know, the average MLB baseball player swings their bat at a 70 miles per hour maximum. It doesn't weigh three pounds. I think your average bat's like 33, 34 ounces, something like that. So, a couple pounds. Let's say she swings that sucker. She's just like a badass Mando. She swings that thing at 50 pounds, right? So that that gives you, again, freedom units, 491 foot-pounds of energy. This is on par with about a 9-millimeter bullet. Um, <laughs> now, granted, 9-millimeter bullet is 9 millimeters in diameter. A blacksmith hammer is, what, inch and a half in diameter? Yeah, it's spreading the energy There's out. a scene where she stands up and smacks a stormtrooper right in the face. You would think the helmet's the thickest part of their armor. Cracks it in half, right? Just You can see his like teeth fly out or something. The point is, she 
has enough energy in her little hammer to basically shatter his face. Again, nine millimeter bullet. It's the same amount of energy, but you got a different like um, impact. It's distributed over a different surface area. So you you would imagine it's substantially lower. I didn't have time to do the math. My point is, you you're better off putting your stormtroopers in paper mache than you are plasteel or whatever the hell this stuff is. Like it's useless essentially. She can crack it with a hammer and bust this dude's face open. We have things that are like thick as this hoodie that I'm wearing that stop nine millimeter bullets like right now in modern time. That's stopping pistol rounds is no big deal to Kevlar and some of the materials that we have with just modern technology on Earth, much less magic space technology that melts Beskar in so, a matter of seconds. I have so. two, two, so one, an idea of how they can melt it and not like destroy everyone in the room. Okay. You could beam it with energy like a microwave. But it's flames. If you look at if you look at her forge, it's literal blue like <laughs> that could just be butane the, that, lighter. That could just flames. be the ambiance. <laughs> well, it could be it could, could be, be, a, could a, be. A, a particle stream of electrons, of charged electrons, mm. right? Okay, okay. But but microwave's not gonna be in the visible spectrum. No, but that's just the, that it, that's like the uh I'm hypothetically poking at your no, hypothetical. No, no, that could <laughs> no, I'm saying is that's like the ambiance. It's like you having like a, a a fake wood stove, like a wood fireplace. It's not for heat. <laughs> it's just to look at. So it, it, is it is it their version of the Amish fireplace? But yeah, uh, for it's part of the tradition because Mandalorians <laughs> for, are all about tradition. But so I actually it's for when the tours come the through the, the sewers. She can really like jazz it yeah, up. For, but I actually you know, was the, thinking about what Roz just <laughs> talked about with the hammer. Maybe she can hit the Beskar so hard. That it will, she imparts so much kinetic energy into the Beskar with her hammer that she can melt it. Well, I didn't even, I did, okay, so let's, let's that's talk why about she that can for a second. whack a stormtrooper's helmet in half. I didn't math this out either, but let's think about it. After she pours that ink, it, she forms it into a plate, then she sticks it under some kind of hydraulic press and stamps out a shoulder piece for him. Okay? We just, watched her melt that thing this sucker it takes blasters and lightsabers before it starts to melt now obviously i know that the material properties tensile strength you know elongation elasticity all that junk is different than the energy it takes to melt something but the point is she's got one hell of a hydraulic press down in that sewer so it could be that Beskar has the pro- a property about it that makes it because lightsaber melt, but no, no, but- well, a laser <laughs> a lightsaber is probably some. Let's just think of hypotheticals. It's some kind of frequency plasma beam, so it's oscillating at some frequency. And same thing as the blaster bolts, whereas it would melt at normal temperatures, but it's able to reject certain frequencies like a lightsaber frequency or a blaster frequency because we, we see it's gonna be interesting so the there's book, some kind of like harmonic cancellation yeah harmonic cancellation going on. but we're gonna fight it's like a, and, it's like the bose uh, headphones of of the combat world for this year. yeah you almost have to believe that because the whole forge scene i mean we're over analyzing anyways but like 
the whole forge scene is so unlike an actual forge. Like, yep. you know, when you're making weapons, you don't melt. Like, that's the worst thing you could do is melt yeah. the iron and then pour it or steel or whatever. And cast it, and, yeah. Yeah, like, you, you need to form it to get the, you know, the, the strength flow of the, you know, carbon and everything to be in the right directions. And so there must be something about Beskar that once it's in that liquid form and then once it anneals or whatever, it, it changes its physical properties to, to what it is. The other thing is it might be great against uh, energy weapons, but I don't know if I've ever seen it used like someone use a um, 30 projectile weapon. That's what I was going to bring up. It might up be really is, brittle. You, you know, I, I kind of like that theory because... Um, You've seen Mando get his ass handed to him by the Cryat Dragon, and that was basically melee. Force trauma. That is him getting. Hit. Yeah, if if you think about it in terms of okay, if um, what? How am I trying to 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 point at this? Um, things which are weapons are powered by Tabana gas, so. Maybe Tabana gas, when it's turned into energy, can only oscillate at a certain frequency. So you you are getting harmonics, or you're um, with Beskar and, and lightsaber, you're getting some kind of reflection, some kind of harmonic total internal reflection that bounces off so, one another. If if you wanted to make it work, but when you use kinetics against it, yeah, you can dent. You can dent and crack Mando's armor, and he's got to repair it. But blasters ain't well, no problem. How about how about Beskar is a material that shares properties of both metals and ceramics, such that at particular temperatures it can melt, but at extreme temperatures it actually is hardened, in a way such that at a lightsaber or a blaster bolt it hardens, but you can still pour it like a metal at lower temperatures. And, and what I was going to go out with is we were all we're looking forward to the book of Boba Fett. Boba Fett's signature part of his helmet is a big dent in it. How so, did that dent so happen? so 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 so? <laughs> he was drunk and he hit his head. Apparently, Boba Fett's armor is not made of Beskar. It's made of uh, different material. I think durasteel. Um, apparently Django was, you know, late the day they were handing out the best car or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, or yeah, he's cheapskate. Cheap dad. <laughs> Heirloom armor. You know, uh, I didn't, I didn't expect when you, you to grow wear up, this will be yours one it's supposed day. To be a, it's supposed to be a parade uniform. You're supposed to put it on the mantle and show all your friends when they come over. You're not supposed to actually fight in it. I son. swear the Alibaba listing said best car. <laughs> wish.com best car son i just wore this to cosplay at comic-con <laughs> wish wish.com best car <laughs> i like it roz yeah yeah it's interesting to think about because i actually never thought about because that whole scene of forging it just it looked cool yeah but yeah you're totally right though you're totally right is if it's a metal metal it doesn't make sense but i'm gonna so, i'm gonna say the theory of if, if if we're going to take that melt smelting scene and like it, it is poured and then stamped to form armor, it's probably some kind of frequency rejection from energy weapons. Because 
Has Mando ever been hit when he had his best car armor? Was he ever hit with like a slug thrower? So the only thing that comes close is when um, Moff Gideon shoots the E-Web power pack and it blows up and then he gets the the head trauma, right? But, they don't, I mean, there's no hole in his helmet, right? Uh, so you would assume it like shrapnel maybe went up his helmet somehow without taking his head off? I don't know. Um, but no, I don't... I don't. <gasps> Wait... Isn't it in the first episode when he gets that like blue fish guild guy? Doesn't somebody shoot him with a slug thrower then? Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to go back. But he doesn't have best it. his best car armor then. That's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I I yield my time to the gentleman. No, nah, it's interesting to think about. We need to see more. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> Budweiser cans. Yeah, we need to see more. Star Wars. Figure that one out. So I'm going to do mine uh, next because I think because Chris's are like questions to think about and i think that's be a very good way to end so mine is uh i did uh i actually enjoy i think one of the few people in this group that enjoyed star wars visions um and i'm going to do a scene from episode five of star wars visions the ninth jedi can i interject something real quick Go just for it. I, lo- I i love this about parker and i love this about the fact that he chose this uh i asked the other day i was like hey which which episode of visions are you doing and he told me that it so i was like okay i'm gonna go watch this just to see and parker chooses like a really obscure like few second scene that i thought was more pivotal to the entire story and it's not but i just it's love not the fact that you all. went for this thing that's in this like a few seconds in one episode yes um so in episode five of star wars visions the night jedi there's a very, it, it shows it a couple times, but they're pretty brief scenes where it shows rocket powered trebuchets. And when I saw this, I'm like, oh man, this is like awesome, like MacFab Engineering Podcast topic right here. Cause it's like, it's throwing stuff, it's got cables and rockets and yeah. Um, but so these rocket powered trebuchets aren't used as, war siege machines or anything like that but they're for mining asteroids and rocks that are in orbit of this planet um and so but they're not asteroids so i I tried to figure out like the first thing was what are these objects called okay are they they're not asteroids not meteors like what are the objects that like orbit or make up saturn's rings in our solar system Apparently they're called like moonlets, so moonlets. And so I'm like, yeah, wait, moonlets. The if it's orbiting, it's a moonlet. Yeah, so it's a moonlet. So that the the small objects that make up Saturn's rings are moonlets, and there's like dust and stuff like that. But the larger objects that you could see are called moonlets. And so I'm like, well, let is an old French. So I, I like immediately. I think I was hungry when I was doing this because I immediately also thought of omelets. And so, but so the suffix let in old French means like super small. So if there's an om let, is there an om big? I, I want to see an om. An om, yeah. So I, I don't, I, I might be missing something there. So um, there's also another word that's used for, to describe these objects called uh, mass con, which is mass concentration. 
So any mass in this in the I guess universe could be a mass con, but that's how they an astronomer would describe these kind of small objects. Anyways, so how these trebuchets work is they have a counterweight, like a earthbound trebuchet, and then they sling a arm grabber thing, like a and it's rocket powered. So it slings the grabber out, and then the rockets fire, and the arm goes like a Jado rocket straight up in the atmosphere um, to snag one of these moonlets. And then once it grabs the target, it the line goes tight, and then the rock falls to the ground like almost instantly. Um, and so it takes about six seconds total from like the grabber going out to the rock falling down. And so here's a nice little picture. I'll post this on the podcast notes of like all the trebuchets lined up. Um, and so what I just wanted to explore here is what kind of forces are involved in this system to make this kind of work. So we're going to have a couple of assumptions because this is star Wars and we can't have, you know, the tensile strength of uh Beskar at our disposal. So we have to come up with, you know, earth analogs like uh Roz did with steel and that kind of stuff. Uh, so our assumptions are earth. I need it in BTUs. <laughs> Actually I'm in all metric and I just have uh conversions to Imperials just so that, um, us Americans have something to base it off of because not everyone knows what a hundred, you know, a thousand kilometers is. But you say six hundred twenty miles, what? and you're like, oh yeah, that's this is What's from that? Houston to El Paso. <laughs> it's like four school buses. Yeah, three football fields. Short ones, or um, so yeah. So my assumptions yes. were they're on an Earth-like planet, so Earth size, um, and then. The object would have to be in like the lowest stable orbit, given our atmosphere makeup and gravity. It could be different in this in this episode, but we're going to go with this. Um, and so I actually just googled like, what if you put Saturn rings around Earth, and try to figure out like what would be like the lowest orbit, the lowest ring would be, so that that's where the moonlets would be, right? And apparently, it would be roughly around. Um, or according to the University Corporation of Atmospheric Research. I don't know if that's legit or not, but that's where I found this information. It's, it sounds legit. Sounds legit. Um, it would be above the atmospheric layer known as the thermosphere, which reaches as high as 620 miles or 1,000 kilometers. And I saw 1,000 kilometers. I'm like, ah, simple number. You know, nothing too complicated about 1,000 kilometers. So we're going to go with 1,000 kilometers is how far... The trebuchet is launching up to grab one of these uh, moonlets. Um, now, when you watch it in the episode, it's clearly closer to that because you can actually like see the grabber go up and get it. But it's like, well, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll keep going on our stuff. Um, and so then I'm like, okay, so that object ha or that moonlet has to be orbiting the planet. So how fast is it going? Uh, orbital velocity is velocity equals the square root of the gravitational constant times total mass divided by orbital radius. Uh, I use the gravitational constant for Earth, and then um, you kind of just ignore the mass of the object because that 
mass of the planet is just so ginormous you don't really have to worry about it you get basically 19,964 meters a second which is pretty quick and then looking at the size of the object that's 65,000 feet per second by the way <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty quick um, which is Mach, Mach 86 yeah well, it's, it's gonna be even more impressive when it starts reeling that object back by the way <laughs> um, so looking at the like it basically I, I basically looked at like the picture of the grabbers and like the doorway and been and been like okay a human was standing there the grabber is a little bit bigger than the human head what's bigger than a human head a beach ball so we're just going to use a beach ball as the size <laughs> of the object um because a beach ball is about a half meter in diameter and a half is a good number to use um so what material would they be mining what do you think well the episode is about building lightsabers and lightsabers have a material called varium in them, which is a Star Wars material, not a real life material, because varium is very, it's one of the best conductors and heat sinks for the Star Wars universe. So it would make sense that they would be mining varium in this episode. So we'll room, just go with room that. temperature superconductors. Basically, that's what it is. Problem is, we can't just look up the, uh, the density of varium because that doesn't exist. Well, they got to be able to handle six megawatts, so they better be pretty damn conductive. Yeah, pretty damn conductive. So I just use silver. It's <laughs> close enough. The silver yeah. is the best conductor that we have and at room temperature. And so I just said, okay, we're just going to go with silver because um, I can't find the density of varium. Calculate out the, uh, the volume of a beach ball. So that's our size. And the density of silver is... 10,497 kilograms per meter cubed. Um, so our beach ball of silver weighs 687 kilograms, which is a tad over 1,500 pounds. It's a Volkswagen. Yeah, it's a Volkswagen, but the size of a beach ball. Of a beach ball. Yeah. And our other assumption is material science be damned. Yeah, you pretty much have to in this case. I'm thinking, so I'm thinking I, of that So enough... What was that? Well, the, like, the, okay, so the, the te trebuchet arm. I don't know if yes. you go into this. You probably, you probably do something. Like, the speed at which the arm has to fling in oh, order so to that's get actually, things up there. At the end, I have something about that. Okay. Because it I, doesn't like, what, actually What use... material can, can go that fast and not yeah, fall so, apart? So I'll get to that at the very end. I have, like, a closing note section about that. Um, so let's say you fling this grabber up there and it grabs the object, and the cable goes tight. How much force is applied to that cable? Well, you're basically going from all the momentum that that object has to zero. Because it actually will pull it back down. So it has to pass through the zero point, which would be the maximum amount of force applied to the cable. Uh, how much momentum is that speech ball has is 13,053 kilograms per meter uh, uh, per second, which is, it's a lot. Um, and so basically we have to also calculate the impulse, which how much for, uh, how much basically that momentum changes in, in that time. If you look at the video, it's kind of hard to tell, but it takes about three seconds from when the grabber grabs it to when it starts to fall back down. So 
we'll say three seconds there, which means we basically get, I think that is 4,571,756 newtons of force or a bit over 1 million pound forces, um, which is, that's a lot, but not unthinkable because they Rocketdyne F1 engine can do 1,746,000 uh, pound forces. So an F1 engine could actually deorbit this object in less than three seconds. So it's perfectly doable, right? Um, but we're doing it with a wire. So how big of a just plain Jane steel cable, if we're just going to use a plain Jane steel cable, could we do this? Yes. And actually kind of reasonable, but it's not a um, normally manufactured part. Because I think they basically make like plain, stain, uh, plain steel cables up to like two inches in diameter. Um, we would need about a five-inch diameter steel cable to make this work, but you could do it. And that's only using a regular plain steel cable, which has a, a 350 megapascal tensile strength. Um, you can use more exotic carbon steels and stuff that gets that tensile strength up higher, but 350 is like the cheap steel. So go, Steven. Well, okay, but... <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you're taking this into account, but like, sure, the little thing you're trying to grab is like 1,500 kilograms, but you have the to throw the cable. The cable yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So that five-inch calculation for the diameter, I actually have that in here. Uh, that leaves no safety factor or regard to the weight of this enormous cable. Yeah, because like it's 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 like <laughs> boat anchors. You know, the anchor isn't yeah. actually what stops a boat. It's just the weight of the chain. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm wondering, I'm like, how do you get that into okay. orbit? So, but that's so you could use a more like, say, carbon nano graphene table, uh, yeah, or graphene, something more fancy. But I was just saying, could you even make a steel cable that could handle that force? And yeah, you you could make a five inch steel cable stop a Rocketdyne F1 engine. So doable. You could good. Wow, All right, so we've captured our object with our grabber and we have a cable that could hold, hold through that impulse, basically a force. Well, the planet slightly back. increases its rotational speed. Well, it has to get back at in three seconds, according to the video. Three seconds. Okay. So it has to travel 1000 kilometers in three seconds, which is 333 kilom uh, kilometers per second. 206 miles per hour. Um, most asteroids slash meteors enter second, I mean. the Earth's atmosphere at 20 kilometers a second. Like the fastest ever recorded is like 86. So we're we're well like 16 beyond. times faster as the average speed of an asteroid entering the atmosphere. Um, so varium is going to have to be a lot more heat resistant than silver to make this work. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I was like. How do you calculate crater impacts? Because that's what happens in this in this episode is when it hits the ground, it makes an impact crater. Purdue actually has an impact crater calculator that you give it density oh. of your object, your size, your angle of impact, um, what it's made out of, like the, all the different materials. And using that calculator, 
our estimated crater size is actually about 50 meters. And so what I plugged in there was like 45 degrees. So like if it grabbed an object out there, it would probably, the object would have to would swing down as it grabbed, as it pulled in. So I said 45 degrees. And also that gives us the a smaller crater size. Um, <laughs> and it looks like soft, like they're on like a salt lake bed. So like a sand surface. Um, so about 50 meters. Unfortunately, in the episode, the crater looks to be about 10 meters wide. So in this picture here, um, I estimate basically the speeder bike is about like probably two feet wide or 0.6 meters wide. And then I drew out on the, on this, on the uh, image, how wide this crater would be. And the crater is like 10 meters wide. So um, maybe the object is not as dense as silver, or maybe the dirt is softer than sand. But another thing to think about is the kinetic energy of this object <laughs> flying towards being reeled in at 333 kilometers a second. If we just kept the density of silver, um, you, it would you're be... You're going to kill all what the is, dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually not that bad. It's not that bad. Um, but it basically it ends up being uh, 9,100 tons of TNT is the energy impact. Or what is that? Um 38 trillion joules, which actually is not bad. The bomb that wiped out Hiroshima was 13 kilotons, and you're calculating nine. (laughs) Yeah. From just grabbing something from space and slamming it into the earth. Yeah, it's not too bad. Wham! Yeah. It's not too bad. (laughs) Not too bad. So why a trebuchet? Because in the clip, they actually aren't using the trebuchet to get the grabber into orbits. Because it launches the grabber away, and then it Jado rockets up. So it just gives it the initial oomph. So I was so I was thinking about this: is why a trebuchet? Well, the arm would allow. So, so let's say your cable was like super Star Wars material that has zero flex. Well, you would need some flex in there in your system, and so the arm could be your flex, right? Because it's attached to the top of the arm, it could allow a little bit of a like a spring motion on it, um, so it could slow down these impulses that make these numbers super big. Like you can slow down uh, the the momentum change. Um, it also allows launching that rock Jado rocket farther away from the workers and housing to a safer distance. So it could be a safety <laughs> thing, or also it just looks that's, freaking cool. That's it's kind of the same concept of the um, what's that company that makes the centrifuge, or they're trying spin to make launch. the centrifuge yeah. to launch spin satellite. launch, spin launch. Yeah, basically the a giant, giant Dyson flywheel. Backing. Yeah. <laughs> so, like uh, DJ in Twitch chat says, they're Russian missiles that are thrown into the air before they ignite. So maybe that's that is it. it they're using the trebuchet to launch. The grabber Jado rocket away from the workers. I think your final assessment makes the most sense, which is it's it just cool. Looks cool because <laughs> it does look cool. Considering the Star Wars universe, there's like I could probably think of like a hundred better ways to do it using tech that exists in the Star Wars universe. Um, Tractor beam. But the question I have is, you're saying in this episode they're mining these moonlets whatever for 
the material mm-hmm. to use to make lightsabers. How much demand is there for lightsabers? <laughs> yeah. Well, so I mean, the thing is, is that's that the whole purpose of the episode. Is about making it's an emerging market, okay? <laughs> so, so in this episode, um, it's post uh, Order sixty six, and so there's a small group of people who are trying to rebuild the Jedi Order, and they need to make lightsabers. And there's a person who knows how to make a lightsaber on this planet, and he's make he's like the the samurai sword maker kind of setup. So he's making like nine lightsabers. And so it would make sense that he would need a lot of material to do that. A lot of unique elements. What so so in episode five or six when Luke builds his lightsaber back, does he just go down to Radio Shack and get some Varium then? Or probably, yeah. Or probably takes part of Joy to do it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Well, and, and in this episode, too, I mean, this is certainly not canon, but they have it set up where, like, you don't know the color of the blade until, like, you ignite it and it, like, senses your <laughs> who you are. I actually are. really like... Oh, red! Damn it! No, no, <laughs> actually, bad! Well, they started bringing that back. which was, That was actually what was really interesting about Star Wars uh, Visions is they kind of retconned... Disney's way of doing the colors because Disney's way of colors was like, oh, if you're a good guy, it's blue or green, and if you're a bad dude, it's red. Or purple. Whereas in Legends, yeah, I was about to say, if you're Samuel was, L. Jackson, it's purple. Yeah, but in Legends, it was it depended on the person that ignited the blade, right? What yeah, because apparently, apparently, there's some force, uh, like skill required to build a light. That's why you can't yeah. just like build one. It's the right? alignment of the Kyber crystal. Yes. Right. I, so you I, I thought have... it was just which color you picked when you're at the Star Wars experience. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, but that's what I liked about Light Visions. Is they kind of brought that back from from Legends. Is but how I, but I thought Visions was like explicitly non-canon. It, like, it, no, no, it is not canon. But they not, okay. they brought that idea back of like Sith crystals are like evil and like are like staticky and. And are in like those crystals have been corrupted. Like they brought that back, and I mean it's not canon because none of visions is canon. But they brought that idea back, and I thought that was really cool that they even thought to do that. You know, I always wondered about that with Kylo Ren's lightsaber. So, oh, so you that, want that you want the real reason about that one, Hyron? So Mace Windu's fighting style is actually like a Sith. So his, his Mace Windu's fighting style. Oh, so that's why they give him the blend. Yes. The real so reason is because he was like George. Like, I want the color purple. purple, and Lucas yeah. was like, "Will they come in green or blue?" Like, nope. It needs to be purple. And then, and then, uh, and then he said, "Yep, you can have a purple one." So then they paid a couple grand for some screenwriter to write that in for you know a few hours, and yep, there you go. But so the. The lore reason is because his fighting style allows him to tap into anger and emotions, but then he's able to pop back out of that when he's done fighting. Well, from one point of view, the Jedi are evil. <sighs> Next time on the Macrofab Star Wars podcast. <laughs> no, we're not over. We're not over yet, Roz. <laughs> what one thing real quick just a, just a thought that came to mind if you look at Kylo Ren's lightsaber he's got the the one blade with the two little thumbs coming out the side <laughs> but the way that they the way that they draw it it's not as clean as a as lightsabers you've seen before wish.com lightsaber yeah 
Yeah, it, it almost more. It almost looks a little bit more like flames than it does uh, l- light energy yeah. beam in a way. What what could be a cool theory is that Kylo actually kind of sucks a little bit at making it, and his crystal isn't no, aligned that's, that's, as perfect. That's actually no. That's the lore reason why. Yeah, <laughs> that's the lore yeah. reason. Is it no, really? That's totally what it is. Yeah. It, it, now now, the, it's it's actually option three. Is it looks really cool. But the lore reason is because he actually didn't really have any person to learn how to make a lightsaber from. He so he kind of made a slightly teachings. shitty one. Yeah, he only had partial teachings from Luke to build a lightsaber. Gives off gamma rays, but, uh, you know, it still works. <laughs> I could see my bones when, I'm, when I turn it on, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's all right. <laughs> He's like, I left the academy before I learned, like, proper lightsaber building. <laughs> I was sick that day. But again, this goes back to Star Wars is really good at throwing a dart and then putting the bullseye underneath it later. <laughs> yep. Hi. Right. Any more questions about Jado rocket trebuchets? Want to build one, but no. Yeah, they do look cool. I'll say, cause I saw that. I'm like, I want to talk about five seconds of this entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think it could be cooler, though. I think that scene could be cool. Like, if it didn't use rockets and it was actually flinging the grabber arm up there, that'd be cool. So uh, a quick note about Star Wars Visions, I th- I think they got the um, uh, what's it called the the sequence of episodes are it's a little bit off because it I watched off. the I watched the first four and I was like this show's kind of dumb and then I was like I stopped and I asked Parker which one do I need to watch for this show and he said episode five I watched that I was like okay this is cool and then I noticed that Hyron mentioned in the notes to watch episode nine because he had some kind of comment about that and I watched that and I was like dude that one's cool too like they should have put those episodes as one and two as opposed to like ending the whole season because the first four are a little yeah. rough I really want to see a season two where I'm like no Jedi's just explore everything else <laughs> yeah well, yeah, they had to do Jedi's though. And going back to what we were talking about earlier with episode seven, eight, nine had like an, a story. Well, they don't have a connecting story at all. They just made it work. But originally it was a story and they put Star Wars over it, right? They wanted to tell the story of Rey, basically. Well, that's actually what they, they actually did that with Visions. Is that They said, make a story and then just use our assets for Star Wars, basically. Um Mm-hmm. I I still like a lot of them. I, there's definitely some really weak ones, but then the good ones just make it worth it, though. So. I want to see a Tarantino Visions. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I'd watch that. That would be extremely gory. <laughs> like Star Wars isn't though. Like people getting cut in half with lightsabers and shit like that. It would be Star Wars with a lot more blood because most of the time when they get cut no, in half, it, they're cauterized. It'd be a lot more Samuel L. Jackson saying bitch. <laughs> no, M- M- MF or that's his, yeah. that's oh, his that's punch. Oh, that's true too. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about um, oh, uh, The Hateful Eight. He said bitch a lot in that movie. Oh. <laughs> All right, so what's, uh, what's, what's left? Chris, take us home. Okay. Um, what I was thinking about was what of the th- like the things you see in tech, at least technology that you see in Star Wars, 
that if you could like wake up tomorrow and our scientists had discovered that, like, what do you think would have the most significant impact on our lives or maybe your own work or the things that um, you design or build or whatever? Um, and I had a bunch that were like not Star Wars, but I'll stick to the Star Wars one. Maybe someday we can do a general science fiction episode. Um, uh, but the first one that jumped out at me is the, I called it anti-gravity or repulsors or basically the things you see that make everything float from, you know, the speeder bikes to the, to, um, Luke's, uh, sans, whatever it was called, the speeder, um, so that was like the first obvious application, but I also thought about it from a manufacturing standpoint. Uh, many, many years ago, I worked in a foundry and we worked with molten iron and the, the, the casks that had refractory sand and hot iron, when they would roll across the bearings, like every day we were in there replacing steel bearings because the whole system just was constantly being wore down by the pressure and heat. And I thought, well, if you could just make things float, like what would that do to like these, the design of an assembly line, you know? Um, and I don't know how accurate the floating could be. Like, could, could you make it just move? Like, like, could you have a pick and place machine, like just floating <laughs> panels in, you know? So that, that was my first, uh, kind of thought. Like, what do you guys think about that? Like, anti-gravity or just something that would impact our life well, tech-wise? anti-gravity, but including, like, just being able to make things float. Anything. Like, being able to make anything float like it does in Star Wars. Um, I think it would make just transportation very interesting at that point. Um, like, I think hot rodders and stuff like that would immediately go hog-wild with that kind of technology. <laughs> hot rodders. Well, so, so you, I mean... You bring up another interesting point, right? You, you mentioned the bearings, right, and the wear and tear of the weight of the object not having to be held by the bearings. But, like, what if the bearings themselves were made of the anti-gravity material, right? So now you have power generators that have zero friction and, uh, you know, any kind of rotational object, zero friction. So, Yeah, your, your operational efficiency of, of machines start nearing 100%. I'm, you know, also I'm going to be more pessimistic floating. thinking about people. Um, so, like off our coast right now, we have the big pile up. Like we have all these ships from China piling up out Long Long Beach port. And um, if you increase the speed in which things could transport, and I'm even imagining, okay, we don't have ships in the ocean; they're hovering, getting there faster. <laughs> We're going to have bottlenecks at customs and unloading and things like that where people are like oh shit what do i do faster although if, if so they I, could float you could have your your depot could be in the middle of kansas or something and you know the cargo ships would just float over land and then <laughs> you know that's true we we could actually have more custom depots what if you used one of those trebuchets <laughs> to launch your cargo because they're, they're you know, zero gravity, so that it would just be friction of air, but so you could parallel, you can just arc them. Yeah. Just launching cargo containers everywhere. 
But yeah, I, I just the more I think about floating things, I I think like even you know cargo, and so if the cargo ship is floating above your house and a few packages fall off or crates, who does that? It falls in your yard. Is that your property now? You know, or <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, so the the floating technology to me, like would like. I think it would just be huge. Like it would permeate, you know, almost all aspects of, of life. Um, then, and another one that I was thinking about were like droids. We see them, you know, in, in all the the episodes, but the one thing they never really hit on is programming in the Mandalorian. He reprograms IG 11, but they, at least my memory is that he implies it's not easy to do that, that it, it was, a complicated process and wasn't sure it would take or whatever. And yet in, um, rogue one, I think it is where he says, wipe the protocol droids memory. Um, C3PO. It's like, that is obviously easy to do. So like, what's the engineering behind that? Where, and the, and the other thing is like, I mentioned Anakin built C3PO, but he didn't really build them to me he more assembled c3po so it was a kit outside of the yeah get the code off github so spare parts that Mm -hmm. he found but like outside of uh i guess it would be episode three i've i've never seen it like droids being built or you programmed and it makes me wonder like is the technology more like machine learning where it's you can't really program it you could like maybe wipe the memory, but programming is just more organic. You know? Well, in Mandalorian, you kind of remember after he blew, um, after he reprogrammed the droid, he had to reteach him how to like pour tea and like lift crates. And so it makes it, I think you're kind of spot on there. It was almost like physical therapy. Yeah. Yeah, I would say between that droid, 3PO and the others, every time they reprogram them, they're just wiping everything they learned, and it's like they have that um, backup BIOS chip with default firmware. And they're like, yep, I'm gonna default to the factory settings. I don't know anything. Hey, look, Babu Frick, that's my oldest friend. That's that's where I'm going with it. Um, yeah. But most of the time, they're not reprogramming. They're just wiping everything that they've learned thus far. Yeah, temporary well, and, memory. And, and things that they've learned is probably tolerance of the servos and the motors that move their body and things like that. So they have to relearn all of these characteristics and aspects that are unique to that shell or that body that they have, hence all of the learning that they have to go through. I'll go out on a limb, and even though I forced myself to forget everything about episode eight because it didn't happen, and that's a nightmare I won't relive, um, they did touch on the Star Wars universe defense industrial complex and I got to think that they're involved in the production of droids and that's proprietary. So they just churn out protocol droids, R2 units, um, mousies and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, that's a trade secret. IG units. A lot of people don't know how to program them, but they have hackers. Yeah, they probably license a droid OS that you just purchase, uh, slap it in, and uh, and then it does all of the learning to make it be it in a way. Yeah. So, but for IG11's case, they probably found some random 
uh, uh, trainerprogram.exe and then uh, ran that. And, you know, it came from some sketchy, uh, the, what, the space bay dot net. <laughs> space bay. And, I read uh, somewhere, I don't know where it was, it might have been in the RPG book for all I know, that droids are supposed to have their memory wiped after a certain interval of time because they start to have issues like so r2 is like super spunky and and like sentient and self-aware because i guess he's been around so long without his power wash that he's now become a problem right and most droids they're they're like tools they're servants they're they're basically pieces of hardware uh they're not supposed to have a personality so I think if you let them learn too long, they they uh, That's become morbid. beings. <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll rise up and they're like, "You made me vacuum your floors nonstop." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I wonder, like, what I wonder what the cost of something like that would be, like in current. Like, I don't get an impression from watching Star Wars, except for the first one. But there, he just buys them. It does. I don't remember they're hearing a price. Um, and he's just buying them at like a garage sale. Yeah. So it's like, I wonder how much they actually cost. Cause it's hard to imagine how much you would use one if they invented one now that could do what the droids do, but it depends on how much it would cost. Um, I don't get the impression they're particularly expensive, but they're also not everywhere, you know? Well, so, so. If you think about the economics of it, why was, I don't remember Anakin's mom's name, whatever. Why was she a slave if droids were so cheap? Like, I, I get the impression that they're not expensive, but they're not, they're not like Accessible. everyone has one. Right. Uh, well, they also seem to be really like purpose built. Like they have a use and that's what they're good at. Or it could be a, a cultural thing that they're looked down on or something you know actually yeah. that that's a good point you know they bring a protocol droid to job and he's like protocol droid like i i don't need that yeah if, if it was um, so easy to reprogram and, then, and wipe them they would do that yeah uh and then the the next thing i was thinking about was the hyperspace technology like when i when i asked because i asked a few people this question and a lot of people are like, oh, hyperspace, hyperspace, hyperspace. And and I said, but in reality, if we had that tomorrow, that NASA said we've we beat it, we've beat faster than light, we can build ships that can travel to the edge of the solar system, it would be huge, monumental. But would it really change your life? Like, I mean, how many years would it be before, no matter how fast you can travel to Mars, how many years would it be before you could actually live there, let alone Alpha Centauri or, you know, somewhere else? Um, like, like unless you could somehow find an inhabitable planet. But I think it would take decades just to even send out enough ships to find a planet that people could live on and then colonize and, you know, that that it would get to the point where like one of us could buy a ticket and go to one of those places. Oh, and it still costs $2,000 a pound to get something into space, by the way. Well, that's so. where the floating technology <laughs> comes in handy. Oh, that's you know? a good point. We'll just float right up to the <laughs> launch pad and then... Although 
it, that's assuming we have both. But I, I just think that hyperspace is one of those really cool technologies that if we actually had it, you might go, well, that's great. Now astronauts can get to Mars faster, you know. Yeah, woohoo, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we would if we had – okay, so it, it, I think what it boils down to with that is how much faster than light can you go? Because yeah. fast, if you go the speed of light, that's incredibly impressive, but not particularly useful. I mean, the closest next star is Alpha Centauri, right? Which is like 77 light years away. So great. If you travel at the speed of light, it's that's 150 You're still something dead year by the time you get there. Yeah. Round trip, right? Yeah, like, like, so like, later, guys, I'll see you in you know a couple of generations and let you know what we found. Yeah. So 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 what does that allow us to do? Set up heavy mining operations on Mars? Like cool. Like that how do, is that helping us significantly here on Earth? I'm not sure. Yeah, like maybe certain metals would get cheaper, you know? Yeah, pretty Nickel. much every maybe. single heavy metal would <laughs> immediately drop through the floor cost-wise. That's about it. Um but I mean, you got to think that that round trip is still expensive. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And then I have a few other, but they're not Star Wars related. So we, we can... I've, I've got one to add to this list, Chris. Okay. Is the apparent energy density for storage that they have in Star Wars. Like they're what we would call battery tech. Like we were talking about how many, how many megawatts Roz's lightsaber would expel into the steel door. And that thing is, you know, size of a flashlight. Well, and Hyron um, had that fantastic chart that showed basically energy density. Yeah. I yeah, I put the link in chat. But yeah, I like suppose if, the, if we the smallest, like if you look at Kylo Ren's, you know, leaky lightsaber, you're getting two point five gigajoules in the flashlight. Yeah. <laughs> like that's some insanity trying to think of like it's like you'd build you'd build a cell phone that would never be need to be charged ever. Like right. it would just have enough power to well, last and until well, you what die. What I love what they did the is question. they put it in relative terms. So that's like one and a half nuclear reactors. That's 101 Tesla power walls or a thousand car batteries. Like, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Well, and, the and for density. me, that begs the the question: like, is the lightsaber? It's it's generating power or it's storing power. Like, did we just not see the scene where he's plugging it into the wall and saying, "Hold, hold on, I just got to get a couple no, it's, uh, it's a shake bars weight. here of charge before <laughs> this fight." I don't recall in Legends if if Jedi ever have to swap out Kyber crystals because they deplete over time. No, they do have power cells in them. Yeah, they have power, power cells in, in addition. Handle. Mm-hmm. At least in Legends, I don't know what it is in current canon. Technically, all the blasters uh, have a power cell, and they have uh, like a gas. They have a little gas cell, packs yeah. too for the propellant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it, Which, basically, the battery, in terms of a blaster, energizes the gas, and the gas is converted the into bolt. the bolt. Which is interesting because that's come up in Legends, but I don't think in any of the live acting have I ever seen them reload and change out ammo. 
actually, Mando changes out around so he you brought up last year so he can vaporize a Jawa. Oh but, yeah, and his rifle. But that was changing out ammunition types. I've never seen them be like, oh shit, I'm out. Got to reload. Yeah. Also, his his rifle doesn't just like shoot a bolt; it vaporizes stuff. So there's there's a little bit antimatter bullets. Yeah, yeah, that was actually calculation. I think who did that one last year? Uh, I did. Yeah, yeah. Because so last year Craig did a calculation on how much energy would a bullet need to have to vaporize a Jawa. Which is why I carry well, I a bunch of eighteen six fifties now. Yeah, <laughs> I think I remember in the in episode four, like were they fueling the X wings? I can't remember. Yeah, no, they were at least refueling the uh, the it, in episode five. They're refueling the Millennium um, Falcon. Okay, for sure. And there is a a cut scene in episode four that they added back in. Where Chewie is working on the Millennium Falcon and and uh, Jabba the Hutt's there, that really bad CG scene. Oh yeah, that they added back in. That doesn't make any sense. But anyways, they're refueling the Millennium Falcon there. But I bet you there's a scene we can see that's they're refueling the X wings. So there is fuel. Yeah, and, and Mando talks about uh, in one of the contracts he takes in one of the episodes. Uh, you know, Grief Karga gives him the price. For the bounty and he says it doesn't even cover the cost of fuel so. oh okay but just the energy density because we were talking about like uh yeah if we had this now you know i think that would be the biggest change like if if tomorrow was like our energy density just went up a trillion percent <laughs> yeah for sure and that's why like some one of my non star wars why well, i say non star wars because i don't think i've ever seen it in star wars but one of my technologies was what they call in uh, quantum power taps like basically quantum entangled particles delivering power where then your power generation can be literally anywhere and you're, you you know, entangle them at the the generation and then at the source at, at, just at the there. at the little tesla charging station <laughs> or in orbit around the sun. I mean, you know, you could have a solar right. array that's in parked in orbit around the sun and, and you get a little, imagine it's the size of like a five volt regulator, you know, and that's the other end of the, oh, the, the quantum tunnel. It's just the, it's just the element. Oh, it's just the, you know, electrons just flipping their, their orbits around. And, and yeah, I think Chris and I actually talked about this once uh, when we we're driving somewhere at one time. And like I'm like that that would be the game changer would be a chip that was had that had electrons in it that were entangled with another set somewhere else and then you just put that chip on your circuit and bam that's your power source. And and what I wonder is if you could do that like so if you guys were designing a circuit and there was a part no bigger than a five volt regulator, but it was quantum entangled power source. With the other end, you know, an orbit around the sun or something, would how would you feel about putting that in a circuit, knowing that if that space station blows up, you're 
dead. Like, you know, you don't have power anymore. So would you make it modular or would you trust that it's always going to be there? Oh, or, you know, modular because like the that. first brand's going to be from Espressif and it's going to fail like 20% of the time. <laughs> well, okay. So if, if we have both that quantum quantum power and we have the energy density that's in star wars you could always just charge up energy density or you charge up whatever battery you have and be like oh well my power supply ran out i have 160 days left of use on this thing you know yeah well it would make like aircraft possible electric aircraft um because you don't have to worry about battery density of course like having Star Wars levels of power or floating things. Yeah, yeah anything would just float. To, infinite power. Oh, th- we, it, it, to us, unlimited they have so power. Much, yeah, yeah, unlimited power. They, devices in Star Wars have so much energy density, they look like they don't need power. It's like, what you is know, it? Sufficiently enough technology just looks like magic. A lot of things in Star Wars ends up looking like that because of how much power they can theoretically store real quick three examples i want to i want to get your guys thoughts on this uh speeder bikes on endor you have uh luke's little like floaty go-kart on tatooine and then you have ray's little like motorcycle that that hovers around we don't really in any of the movies we don't ever see these devices off per se like we don't see them in their like off state do they continue to float perpetually or do they just come down to the ground and then when you turn it on it like you know powers up yeah, and begins to the hover closest i've seen in again i wouldn't call it off like in mando the 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 troopers they're parked waiting for the okay to go into the town but there they're still floating so it does make you wonder like does it perpetually? I've float? never seen one sitting on the ground. The closest I've seen, the only time is um, episode one. His pod is on the ground before the. Well, I mean, when they're well, but that on pod it. might not actually be floating though, because it might it might actually just be pulled. I'm I'm guessing the amount of energy it takes to power it up is exponential and it's like un- unless you're going to stow this for a couple of months there's no point in turning it off because you're going to burn more energy turning it on to get everything up and going than let it hover well then that speaks even more to energy density where it's so energy dense yeah. that you can just be like well screw it i'll just leave it on and let it float maybe there's just some kind of substance that has like negative gravity and you have to like ballast everything with the weight <laughs> and it's like you got to put the perfect otherwise it just keeps floating up into the atmosphere like it has to be to the like 10th of a gram like absolutely perfect yeah over like a year it goes up by like a few inches yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think it's kind of like the efficiency of like heating your home it's better to keep your home at a constant temperature than oh i'm gonna let it drop to 50 degrees heat it up to 70 drop to 50 heat it up to 70 it's better just to leave your thermostat on you'll spend less energy maintaining that and you know blasting some heat out once an hour than constantly trying to raise it up Yeah, I know I'd, I wouldn't, I would love to have that. And the other thing I keep thinking about is, I mean, if you look at like hover vehicles, which we have, they're notoriously hard to steer. And yet, like in 
Star Wars, like, there's no problem steering the speeder bikes and, and the speeders and all the other things. And it makes me think that maybe it's not simply anti-gravity, but it's like it's manipulating gravitational waves so that it kind of holds itself in place. So it's it's not simply just floating, but it's actually kind of like but holding its place. There, there does seem to be a cutoff, though, because ships have landing gear. And they will, then they, but they also have anti gravity repulsors because they definitely raise up off the ground, suck the ga- you know, landing gear in, and then go forward. So yeah. there's a cutoff to where it's okay to leave your engine idle, basically, and let it hover, <laughs> versus we're going to shut it down and put it on landing legs. Well, th- well there's, the landing there's a gear might destroyer. be a function of, uh, of like the artificial gravity on like space stations and stuff, right? Like maybe you have to be in contact with it for the gravity to work. And if you don't, if you're not touching the space station and it accelerates one way, like your ship just slams (laughs) into the floor or something. I don't know. I mean, there's that whole scene where there's a star destroyer just hovering over the city of Jakku. Uh, And, and you know, in my little portion earlier, we, we said that that was four point whatever, million tons and it had no problem just sitting there yeah but it's and also others so that exists but in other star wars lore like um star destroyers crash into planets by getting sucked (laughs) into gravitational wells unexpectedly so there's something more going on there than i think we're thinking about because it might be like in that case like that star destroyer is putting more power to its repulsors whereas in the other case like more firepower or more shields or it's damaged or something like that but darn we almost had this figured out yeah, we almost <laughs> did. there's something more there but yeah it's interesting like there's something more there's, there's some kind of cutoff or it could just be like the the speeder bikes are at idle right they're just kind of like well and then and the real question is if you could get repulsors would parker put him on his jeep 100 yes. percent. yeah yeah i, I would without I, a doubt he'd try to make him himself and then put him on his jeep. yeah i try yeah. to weld him on day he weld one. him on yeah and then he put them he'd the put them radially like, outward oh, yeah. so he could just repulse other cars <laughs> pull yeah. the cars away <laughs> yep uh cool leaky jeep i think we're gonna finally saber <laughs> spewing radiation as he drives down the road yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to wrap up this episode finally it's like yeah we get two th- hours, hours long two and a half hours long well three so, on the on the twitch stream yeah so who wants to who wants to end it Roz opened alright well that was the macrofab engineering podcast Star Wars Christmas Macrofab Special Plus Max Episode 6 Return of the Jedi And we were your host Parker Dillman And Stephen Craig And Roz And Chris And hi Ron Later everyone Take it easy